Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio. We're back, bitches. We did it! We, we got did our lives together <laughs> well, enough to come together I mean, to do a podcast. I mean, you've been the one who's been incessantly busy. I have not been. I've been at the gym a lot. Ladies. Yeah. Were you going to do a ladies thing? No, I, did, I wasn't. I was just See, saying, this is, everything you know is different now. I thought everything it, no, is different. No, I actually had thought about it, but I was like, you know what? I need to save that for a better time. Ooh, yeah. No, because they drop, know you go to the gym. You drop a beat, yeah. Yeah, they know you go to the gym. That's not like something yeah, it's that not, it's... It's not a new thing. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been, it's been since February, since our best of 2021 episode. Yeah. That's right. We didn't even get together to do any kind of post. Yeah, the only movie we've talked about from 2022 is, is Scream. And that was just me. I think I don't think we talked about any other movies no. from the new year. I've, you know what? I, I mean, we're not good. Today's a, a Cronenberg-focused episode. This is the first joint movie we've seen of 2022. I mean, we've we're going to end up having seen like the yeah. same movies ish. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, though, um, I've been seeing, still seeing quite a few yeah. movies in theaters. I oh. would say. I've been seeing kids' movies in theaters. Yeah, I did not see Sonic the Hedgehog 2 in theaters. Oh. I did watch it on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, we also watched it on Paramount+. It's Paramount not going to be... We're going to do an episode in a few weeks that will be actually our top kind of films or the t- films we want to talk about yeah. of the first half of the year, the little catch-up mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, that won't be what we do today. We're just doing a... Like we we're did with Claire Denis, a deep dive into Cronenberg as we talk about his new film, Crimes yeah. of the Future. yeah. yeah. But yeah, uh, you know, I, I really thought I was going to take like a step away mm. from films. You have not. You've texted me pretty regularly, like, saw this thing, saw this, saw this. So. Yeah. yeah. I took like a couple weeks and I was like, well, I like movies. I'm going to go back to it's watching been, movies. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. It's been fun. It was weird seeing <clears throat> Crimes of the Future a little bit in like a uh, uh, North Haven multiplex with three other people in a room that smelled like an armpit. It was a fly buzzing around me the whole time, so well, I, <laughs> I wasn't I, sure if I that had was an equally interesting experience. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that when yeah, we yeah, talk yeah. about Crimes of the Future. But, but yeah, yeah that was the first movie I had seen without a kid next to me in really almost the entire year. So yeah, Sonic, Bad Guys, you know the Marvel movies, um, something else. I'd almost convinced him to go see Top Gun, and I think we are still going to go see Top Gun. Yeah, I'm going to probably see Top Gun sometime. I feel like you got I feel like it's a movie thing. It's yeah, a theater thing. Yeah, and it's got like such good enough reviews, and I haven't heard anybody be critical of it. I, I expect dumb but fun. Yeah, which um, is all it needs to be. Yeah, my my favorite theater experience, not not related to uh, the actual movie, uh-huh. uh, has been going to see The Watcher. Oh yeah, I yeah. To, went to Criterion for that, and it was in Theater Nine. You know the uh, you know you have the the small uh-huh. like the small theater. Oh, it was in the screening theater. <laughs> yeah, the the back screening theater. Nice, where the guy has to walk in and start the Blu-ray. Love it. Because you know what's nice about it? No fucking trailers. Oh, that is nice. Yeah, <laughs> I walk in and it's just the beginning of it. Because even Crimes of the Future, Showtime starts at ten. Movie. I look at my phone to see when it's starting really quickly. Ten thirty-five. There was a million trailers. Yeah. Yeah, Cinemark. I mean, I have that, that Cinemark Movie Club, but I, I literally go 20 minutes after the showtime for Cinemark. I oh, think I yeah. complained about this last time. Mm-hmm. Like, calm it down. We don't need that many trailers. No, and especially because most of these, like, you know, I guess that the thing that I, I find troubling is that there was, did you see the Gray Man? They had the Gray Man trailer, the new, like, Chris Evans, Ryan Gosling movie. The Netflix movie? Yeah. 
That's what I was going to say. There's trailers for Netflix movies, and it says, like, in select theaters. I was like, is this going to be one of them? Like, why well, the yeah, fuck are you they, showing they, they this to me? They get Netflix films. Does. It, was, I mean, not only it, was, it was enjoyable seeing the uh, 3,000 Years of Longing trailer. In, oh, I didn't get to see that one. Um, on a big screen. I'm excited for that film. That's going to be fun. Which is hilarious, because, like, when that movie first came out at Cannes, everyone was like, this movie's fantastic. And the next day, they're like, too much genie. <laughs> like, good, no well, good. The, you know, the genie movie is no good. Some of, some of the some of the canned films, like the reactions I've seen, and like the films that have come out, have been like these. These are weird reactions that don't seem to make sense. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like the movie we're gonna talk about today. Like the some of the reactions from Can. I'm like, really, really. <laughs> well, yeah. There's actually we'll talk about it when we do it. But like when they said that there was like a six minute standing ovation, I was like. Well, After no, I saw it, I was kind of like, okay. That's typical. I, I more meant like the grossed out fainting stuff. I'm like, really? Well, especially because he said in the first five minutes, and I was just like, all right. Did we, I mean, we've all seen a Lars von Trier movie, right? I mean, if you like, don't like, what the hell? If you don't like throat clearing, if you're like disgusted by throat clearing, then I get it. <laughs> but it's the first five yeah. minutes. There's like some uh, chortling or something. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah. When, yeah, when this thing is happening. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't even remember that guy's name with the Triangle of Sadness, who's now won like two out of the last four Palm Doors. I'm just like, yeah, the square was fine. I'm assuming this movie will also be fine, as he's just kind of ripping off, um, you know, Boonwell with like these situations, like putting the rich in these situations to be like, you know, humiliated and stuff. But I don't know. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine with it. That's not a movie I'm going to seek out. Yeah. It's like the uh, it's like the guy that did platform and what's he doing now like the meal or whatever. What's the, platform? Uh, platform was that Netflix movie about like people on various levels. Uh, it's a horror movie on oh. various levels of prison and like the food goes from the top down. And, oh, like, I didn't see that. People take it and whatnot. Um, and I think I think he's the one that's doing the meal. It's like the Ray Fiennes horror movie. Before we out. move on from this, Mario. I but speaking of which, I think I've seen every rated R horror movie that's come out this year in theaters. Interesting. It's very interesting. That Is that good? Good stuff? We'll talk about it. We'll talk yeah, about blah, blah, blah. it. I need to, we need, we need, something that I discovered that I wanted to talk to you about that I didn't talk to you about, about cans was the guy that did the artist. What's that guy's name? Oh, um, it's the menu, by the way, not the meal. With his. Oh, God. We're not talking about Jean Dujardin. We're talking about Michelle. Whatever, yeah. What the fuck, man? He just remade One Cup for the Dead, but like, for French, like in French, like how is that a thing that is was allowed to happen? And they're making an American version of that too. That's like a real thing. One Cup for the Dead is becoming like a, a cultural touchstone all over the world. That other filmmakers are like, "Yup, I gotta do that," and it got like destroyed in reviews. And it opened the the festival, and really? like this is embarrassing. Oh, I'm not surprised. Like, this he's never made, have been released anywhere. He's made, like two good movies, and that's the OSS movies with Jean Dujardin, like the uh, spy comedy. Yeah, yeah, also, yeah. it's not the, the platform guy's not the one making the menu. He's making something else. I forgot. Like his low. See, we're back. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> when we, when we, yeah, when we forget, when we think we remember something and then we forget about it, that's classic yeah. Tom and Mario. It's going to take us a while to get back on this horse. I know. But, you know, it's going to help us, Tom. Yeah. All right. So we tried to go weird hard to find weird beers anymore i mean this is an abomination beer so, uh, so uh, yeah absolutely. that's weird enough abomination um 
It is Dream Sphere, which I thought was a good. Was that a, makes sense for the, good thing. for the topic. It is a sour ale with raspberries, granola, yogurt, cacao nibs, and lactose. Thank God. I looked. I when you when you pulled this out, I was like, I re- that is a very. If we had a it's David Cronenberg esque uh, face for yes. sure. Yes. If we had our Instagram still, we would have um, had to post that. Uh, when you pulled it out, I thought it was like their. Um, their stout that's like twelve percent. No, no, I'm not. And drinking I was any like, stouts. I was like, I was also going to be like, I'm not drinking until twelve percent beer. <laughs> that's where we put it in like a tasting glass and yeah. just since since we've stopped the podcast, I start getting really bad anxiety oh. even when I don't get drunk. Mario. Don't know it, and that's why for our sipping beer we have a four point two percent two con or whatever that's called. That's the best. Yeah. The best. I've never had beer. it. So. Oh, it's great. What? It smells like, like chocolate. Oh, I can. It's very yogurty to me. Yeah, no. I was gonna say, no. It smells. It smells like to me the Yo Play, and I've been eating these as desserts by freezing them. The Yo oh, yeah. Play Whip Chocolate Mousse. Raspberry forward. A little bit, little little lactosey yogurt. It's kind of a lot. It's got it a big. Kind of, it's got it a big round like, flavor in the middle. Yeah, I don't get the cacao at all. Well, Maybe the in the finish. back. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. finish, yeah. But it's mostly just, to me, tastes like raspberry yogurt. Yeah. It's deep. It's got a pretty deep flavor. Yeah, for sure. Um, not something I dislike. No, it tastes good. I'm just not sure how much of this I'm, like, we're, I'm going to do one can of this and then move on. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking <laughs> well, who knows? By the time I'm finished, that's what I'm like. I like it. Right, right, right. After we finish, you know, the first good, couple. It of might be one of the ones that like warm up, like as it warms mm. up. And, like, I don't know. It tastes good cold. It might be one of those ones that halfway through, after you take it, your tongue has kind of um, acclimated, acclimated to the like the hugeness of it because it is very big. It does have this big round ball of of I think it's probably the lactose and the yeah, yogurt. It's, in the it's smoothie. It. It's smooth. It's very smooth. It's smooth. Smoothie. 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 Yeah, it's, but it is smooth as well. Mm. Oh, and it's a co- it's a collaboration with Skygazer. Yeah, I saw that. Mm. They've been doing a lot of collaborations together. Good old twelve percent beer project. I know. It's a nice spot. Yeah, they they do good work. Yeah, they should get a Nobel Nobel Peace Prize for bringing all these beers together. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Right. All right, Mario. So you need to kick us off here, right? I mean, it's only correct that you kind of get us started with this, on this Cronenberg trail. That because, because of the fact that I had multiple Cronenberg films. Well, yeah, you're just, it's, your, it's, your, it's your jam. So we are going to be discussing four Cronenberg films today. Uh, the three culminating in Crimes of the Future. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the ones reselected, I think kind of all three of them kind of merge and have the essence that Crimes of the Future also carries. Like, there's a thematic through line mm-hmm. through all of them in terms of, um, you know, aberrant sexuality to an extent. But not, not necessarily the, the true aspects of body horror, but, like, a very particular type of gooey body horror. Mm. The, not the, the fly level of transformative body horror, but the kind of manipulation body horror. There's, like, a human... The fly is like an inhuman body horror, and this stuff is like human esque body horror. Even when it's not, it's made to be. Um, he's created these moments where, like the 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 actual human body is kind of uh, 
changed. Well, Not into a fly, but into like more like, additional humanness. Uh, uh, as it is with Crimes of the Future, kind of like an evolution. Yeah, of, for of sure. I, not so much with our first film. Uh, this is just kind of a big body horror, not body horror, surrealist mm. Cronenberg film that needs to be touched that we didn't touch on. Um, it's one of the ones that has a Criterion release, and that is Naked Lunch from 1991. When I started writing Naked Lunch, people offered their opinions. Disgusting, they said. Pornographic, un-American trash. Unpublishable. Well, it came out in 1959, and it found an audience. Town meetings, book burnings, and an inquiry by the state Supreme Court. That book made quite a little impression. Now, 30 years later, Hollywood, in its infinite wisdom, has turned it into a movie. 30 feet tall, in living color. Cover your eyes, America. Run for your lives. You're a mock man, Bill. You're just gonna have to leave town. Tourist class, I'm afraid. Thought you were finished with doing weird stuff. I thought I was too, but I guess I'm not. Uh, Peter Weller plays Bill Lee. He's an exterminator who has a, several writer friends. Um, his wife, Joan, has been stealing his uh, bug powder to use as a drug because it gives her a very literary high. <laughs> um, eventually, uh, he is accosted by some detectives. Um, and... He starts hallucinating. He sees this giant bug that tells him he's a secret agent. The bug wants, you know, some of the bug powder. Rose powder out of my lips. And he's told that his wife is a uh, double agent and is, uh, you know, has another part of another kind of corporation organization that Mm -hmm. she needs to be killed. Um, He's like, fuck you, bee beetle. I'm going to smash you up. Uh, eventually, though, he plays, uh, you know, he catches his wife cheating on him, and then he plays the William Tell game with his wife, as William Burroughs, the author of uh, Naked Lunch, literally did in his real life, uh, and kills his yeah. wife, as William Burroughs literally did in his real life. He's a, Burroughs is a piece Different of shit. times, Mario. Yeah. Different yeah. times. I don't, think, I don't know. I don't know. At different times, but I'm not sure that was ever acceptable. Apparently, it maybe was. in Mexico it was. Apparently maybe it in was. Mexico City, like Beat Generation Mexico City, it was, and maybe not Kansas. That's why he fled to Kansas. Um, <laughs> Lee uh, kind of flees to Interzone, which is somewhere in North Africa. He starts writing reports mm-hmm. uh, with his Beetle typewriter. Yep. Um, he meets. Uh, another Joan who looks like his wife. Espionage turns happen. You know, it's things. Things. Things William happen. Borough espionage. Uh, he eventually sorts of flees to um, Anexia, 
which is a neighboring nearby mm-hmm. country, um, with Joan, because uh, it's his inspiration to be a writer. You know, that's what he needs to be a writer, because now he's a full-fledged writer. He wasn't a writer before. Like, we don't need his literate exterminators. <laughs> and uh, he is accosted by the guards who say, like, you can't be an author. You're Prove it. And uh, a pen isn't good enough. And so he uh, does the William Tell thing again and kills the other Joan, kind of stuck in the cycle of, <laughs> of Joan killing. killing Judy Davis. Uh, and it's a good band name. he is allowed into Anexia uh, tearfully. Uh, very yeah. similar to what we'll do with, with uh, later in Crimes of the Future. Very, there's, there's a little connection to Crimes of the Future. You get the, mm-hmm. get the tear ending. It's a relief ending, yeah. You wanna? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to think. It's an interesting place to start um, in terms of like looking at like how Crimes of the Future kind of fits into like all this other stuff. It, um, I, I would, I think, yeah, I think it's interesting in the sense that outside of Dead Ringers, it's kind of his first film that doesn't necessarily. I mean, it has the aberrant body, not body horror, but you know monstrosity aspect yes. of it but it's not body horror it, it, it's the first kind of film that like has kind of a different with dead ringers kind of like a different tonality well the to I, the idea of right um and it, this pushes like the dead ringer like so you said aberrant before um i think it's probably pretty good like the relationship between the two brothers and like how that falls apart and like what their needs are um how like i got, what who is it um Elliot at some point just so he's like the more grounded one, even though he's like the shitty one, like is like, I need to have like the same thing in my blood that's in my brother's blood. And it kind of messes them up and they get all confused and shit like that. Um, There's a little bit of that stuff here where um, that aberrant behavior is actually kind of dealt with pretty casually and the monstrosities introduce on top of that. So like, inject like when judy davis like right when we meet her she's injecting the bug powder mixed with baby laxative into her into her breasts right into the tit right it's just like she's doing it and like nobody really cares is that a place to usually inject i don't think it is i mean there's veins obviously but it's not like because you're gonna see them i think that's why you wouldn't do it there because you're gonna see them um so all that stuff is kind of glossed over it's a problem but it's not like that's not the the aberrant behavior, the aberrant stuff comes when other, when things in naked lunch, anyway, when things turn into other things and then are interacted with. So the, you know, the first time you meet the beetle and it has this sphincter that's talking like that's one thing. And then when the beetle turns into a typewriter, that's another thing. And then when the typewriter grows a penis and then becomes a, a uh, face hugger, right. Basically. With an ass, um, which that woman is like hitting with a thing, and you're not sure it's if they a pretty, can it's see a pretty, it. It's a pretty juicy ass, too. Yeah, it's also pretty pockmarked because the, the clay is not like sticking together really well. <laughs> um, but that's but it's really interesting because for the viewer, it's escalation. But for like Peter Weller and Judy Davis, who like that thing was humping while they were humping each other, they don't really seem all that concerned about it. And for me, that's the stuff in the Cronenberg movie that gets like under my skin is when these things that are not commonplace are kind of treated as like commonplace is the wrong word or are, are treated as 
um, like appropriate expressions of of something. And I think that's the other part of the Cronenberg like catalog, which I love thinking about, is that like what is the something that these things are expression of? Because it usually has a theme. But like Naked Lunch's engine plays a start because it's almost like themeless, right? Its theme is doing drugs and like being fucked up, right? Yeah, it's 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 definitely an expression of the novel. Do create the novel would be an impossibility just given the masturbating no. teens hanging themselves and coming everywhere probably still wouldn't be allowed in film. I th- but I think it's a good expression of, of kind of the tone that, mm-hmm. you know, Naked Lunch is trying to capture of um, not necessarily surrealism, but this, this, this emotion and sense of normalcy in the face of like a psychedelic experience. Mm. And the thing I actually enjoy about Naked Lunch is, is that I, it feels like the light Cronenberg to me. Of course we get, you know, Bill kills his wife and his, his lover. Like they're, that's, that's serious. But of all the Cronenbergs, like this is the one that has like a real lightness to it. It's kind of funny. It's, it's very funny to me. <laughs> it's, it's super colorful. Um, for Cronenberg, yeah. Yeah, for Cronenberg. Uh, it, it has kind of that light noirishness to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like the, the, the bug creations are truly grotesque. I never found it unsettling. You know, and right. I, so I kind of when I watch this, I haven't watched it in a few years. When I watch it, I just kind of have fun with it, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of enjoy the themelessness of it because you kind of just go with the tone that he's setting. You kind of he's creating. It feels like he's wanting to create a feeling, and and to me, some of that feeling is a lightness to it, like a like a drug experience, like a yes. drug experience. Yeah, oh, absolutely, not yeah. that I would really know, no. I, but I know people who do psychedelics who do acid or whatever and their experience that they've described with it is what i could imagine this being well it's interesting because peter well because bill is um you know he's high a lot in the movie kind of you know but like in the beginning of the movie he's like anti a little anti getting high but the movie feels like what people have explained like being on junk kind of feels like it's very slow like Peter Weller doesn't, like, I think one of the interesting things about this is the way that he shrugs off, like, so many lines. And that's, like, where the humor is, where he's just, like, someone says something, he's just like, mm, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. It's like, you know, he's just kind of, he seems very disengaged with what's happening, but, like, things, forces that, like, he doesn't understand and we don't understand keep pushing him forward towards, like, this larger goal um, but he's always disengaged. And that's one thing I actually find interesting on this rewatch is there's a lot of moments that feels like there's a real heat to the film. Mm. Like it feels like an uncomfortable amount of heat. You see, um, oh, who does he, who does he meet? The guy that is selling the black meal. Oh okay. yeah. 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 Um, um, that character, uh, like it's, it's covered in sweat. A lot of the people are covered in sweat, but Peter Weller is always like about, yeah. really well made. Yeah. He's never sweating. Nope. Like his disinterest is so intense that he himself is not even experiencing the climate of the world around him. Right. And I, I don't think that's intentional, but I, th- I think it's something that like I could, I see, or like I pick not, I, I'm not picking up on it, but I see it because of the fact that there is this real sort of haze and fog throughout the film of just kind of like going through it. And, mm-hmm. you know, people that kind of have a 
working relationship with drugs, who are still functional individuals, mm -hmm. who still can produce like Burroughs was, you know, in terms of his writing or his creation. That's kind of what the feeling you get, you know, like you got, especially with writers, like like a Hemingway, who you know, was constantly a drunk or, you know, even early King who was on drugs and oh, drinking, yeah. but still producing, you know, he was, but he was still Speaking not necessarily teams, present, yeah, yeah. but was still just there and letting things happen to him, but still creating. Well, that's the thing that, that's, the, I think the thing with uh, not the problem I've always had with Naked Lunch. I read Naked Lunch one time and I enjoyed the experience of doing it like once. And then I've tried to pick it up again and I can't ever get back there because I was just at like the perfect time in place in my mind and in my life to like spend a bunch of time with that book and like be open to it and like not criticize, like not even criticize, like not hold like him accountable for like grammatical things or narrative things or whatever. Um, there's almost a kind of, um, and, and King's kind of the same way, like those early Coke books, you're just kind of like, you just have to let yourself go or you're like, this is terrible. Well, yeah, and that's, that's there's actually... no other way to look at it except for this is terrible. And I think that's what's, that's what's at stake in Naked Lunch, the movie. And it's, I think it's a lot of the same thing that's going on with something like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. If you think too hard about it, you're just like, this doesn't work. Well, that's, that's... But if you let yourself oh, go... No, no, it's fine. If you let yourself go to it, then you're just kind of like, I don't get it, but I'm okay not getting it. I, it felt pretty good to be like in this world for the amount of like, you know, from a film perspective, you know, it still feels gross. Yeah. I despise the book, but I despise the book because it's, it was read during the summer of depraved books in mm. college that I've spoken of in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was kind of right smack dab in the middle of me reading the road, no country for old men American psycho for the first time. Well, in the precision of those rules, books, even yeah, American American psycho, yeah. Um, perfume. So like mm. having something very stream of conscious and me being a very sort of precise, like a, a reader who wants precision, who kind of wants everything cut and edited down, like a, a hard focus. Mm -hmm. It just felt like kind of like a, you know, a, a streamless sort of provocation. Uh, provocation. Yeah, provocation. Yeah, yeah. No, for you know, sure. It, it, doesn't, for sure. it doesn't necessarily, it feels like it's trying to evoke an emotion. Mm -hmm. um, like, I forgot who one of the critics is like writing about Burroughs says like it's it's an attack kind of like on the middle class sensibility mm -hmm. and like what middle class readers would expect. And it, it just ended up feeling sophomoric to me because yeah. of that. You which know, is totally fair, which is why like when, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson wants to adapt something weird and like psychedelic he's adapting like the most plotty pigeon book ever and not gravity's rainbow exactly. you know what i mean he's he's just like I, I still need something i need some kind of story to attach this to um but i just think it's interesting from a cronenberg standpoint and where we're going with it like with the conversation like is this the introduction of is this the introduction of the squishiness we watched videodrome for the podcast. I don't remember how squishy Videodrome is. Uh, there's there's a, a degree of squishiness, kind of uh, the the kind of famous scene when he is kissing the television and kind of like moving yep, his face yep, into it. Yep. Um, there's there's a little squishiness in terms of you know like reaching his hand into the stomach. Yep. Um, but I would say there's a real control in Videodrome. Mm -hmm. um, it feels 
still very attached to a nightmare world, but a world by which like we can a grounded nightmare yeah, world. Yeah. Like, like a nightmare in Elm Street. Yeah. Like, like some of those gross and whatnot you see in something like Nightmare on Elm Street, those those kind of like burgeonings. Um they feel surreal, but they still feel in some way practical. Mm. Like a practical they feel like a yeah. very yeah, practical yeah. effect. And Videodrome has that. It's it's elevated obviously. I think this is kind of the first instance um, where it does, where things don't feel Muppetish almost is, is a way to say it, but uh, you feel sort of a little otherworldly, especially the typewriter beetle. You know, yeah. like that doesn't kind of have, it doesn't make as much sense. Or like the bug thing in the cage at the end. Like the human face just like eating away at that. Absolutely, place. yeah. And that stuff seems very Muppety, but it's also trying to be less. No, actually, it's very Muppety. It's just, cra- <laughs> it's just, <laughs> just crazy. Do you think that Crimes of the Future, because I, I think the, you know, what we're doing here is just kind of like we're teasing like our feelings about Crimes of the Future as we go to it. And I think one of the reasons we're doing this is because I was just intensely, you know, I haven't been seeing a ton of movies, but this is one of the movies that I was intensely interested in seeing what the hell it was going to be. You know what I mean? Like, what was... With Crimes of the Future. Crimes of the Future. Like, what was? where was Cronenberg going to go with this thing that everyone was saying was just like this, holy shit, like he's, you know, going all the way with this stuff. Does Crimes of the Future seem to you to fall somewhere in the middle of Videodrome and, like, Naked Lunch? Like, with its surrealist tendencies and its... But also its grounding no, no, in no, a I, kind I would of pseudo-reality? I would say it's significantly less grounded. Um, okay, all right. Yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, when we get to it, I will kind of like compare it to how, what I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say like, I don't know, to a certain degree, like Cronenberg, even early on, has had some things that don't feel necessarily grounded. Like Rabbit is a good example. Mm-hmm. Marilyn Chambers one. Yep. Like the kind of protrusion, the, the um, what's that called? The pro, pro, protuberance? Pro, the, the probus, the, when it's, you have a thing that pops out. I don't know. Probiscus or whatever. Something. A little thing that pops thing, out and yeah. attacks people. Um, that has a, you know, that that is actually something that you would see kind of borrowed later on with like in the film like Night of the Creeps or later with like Shiver or not Shivers um, with Slitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has a real kind of inhuman quality to it but i do feel naked lunch is the first time where you know he has a he has the budget to really do those things yeah to make a terry gilliam-esque kind of yeah like, exactly but then, but then push the the taste <laughs> push the boundaries of like what looks good um and how that stuff's supposed to feel because I, I do get the impression that like the squishiness is designed to make you feel gross and to be a little gross and we're not going to get a ton of that in our next movie um, well, well which would be his next like body horror-ish movie after after uh, Naked Lunch because like, anything that would have not body horror but any body manipulation because M. Butterfly is in between those two and that is not that at all you're skipping that one <laughs> on yeah. purpose well M. Butterfly is just not just that. a regular movie <laughs> yeah good for Cronenberg that like Spider you know he has to do those things well yeah sometimes. sure he's you know but Spider was really good yeah and it was interesting and Butterfly, and, and Butterfly's fine and Butterfly's fine but it's not it was a for hire job right it was like one of the few jobs that he didn't like yeah, he develop didn't write. someone he didn't came write in it. and asked him to direct yeah, it, it. Was, William Hurt asked him to do it I think right uh, was I, I believe possibly 
don't know. We could we could dig into yeah, it. Yeah, but uh, the next. Or Jeremy gonna, Irons has to do it. That's right. Next film we're going to talk about is uh, what is is it still his most controversial of films? I mean, it's still I it's guess. his only NC seventeen film that mm-hmm. I know of. Makes sense. Um, it's yeah, I don't know if it'd be rated NC seventeen now. You would get a hard R. I think it'd be an R. But it is 1996's Crash, starring Matt Dillon. <laughs> Ludicrous. Crash victim? Yes. There seem to be three times as many cars as there were before the accident. I need to see you, Ballard. I need to talk to you about the project. Beyond pleasure, beyond pain, beyond obsession. It's something we are all intimately involved in. Lies the rapture and the rage of Crash. Lions Releasing invites you to fasten your seatbelt. You coming? Crash. All right, so during the break there, you said this is only the second time seeing this movie. Yes. I mean, besides being impossible to find, because we both had like a shit time finding it, and we both. It's not available to stream anywhere. You have to get like, I think, physical copies of it. Yeah, and it hasn't been available to stream for a long ass time. And I'm pretty sure it's still out of print. Yeah. It's out of print at Criterion. So it's not even like there's just like, you have to get a, you have to get a Criterion Blu-ray. It's just, it's not available. Um, So you have to go on like eBay and get it. I don't think it's on Criterion Channel either. It's not on Criterion Channel either, you're right. It's weird. And I guess it makes sense, because uh, this is a weird movie. So watching it again, do you do you like this movie? Oh, I fucking hate this movie. Yeah, me yeah, too. I despise this movie. So let's actually narrow down then why... Wait, we, do we, we hate we this talk movie? About, should we talk about what it is really quick? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we it's definitely based on a It's based on a J.G. Ballard book, which I've, I still don't think I've read any J.G. Ballard. I tried to start High Rise. And well, I was gonna get so we'll it. get there. Because I think Cronenberg has spent a whole lot of his career trying to do in film what J.G. Ballard more successfully does. And Don DeLillo, to a certain point later, successfully does like in writing, mm. which is present... Um, Premises and themes, um, as a and, and then as, and creates like short stories out of them because I think Crash was a was Crash a novel or was it a short story I don't remember. Um, uh, I think it, I thought it was a novel. Maybe it is. Yeah, it's a novel. Yes. Um, but that stuff. A short novel, but but that stuff. Yeah, he was written a lot of short stuff. Um, it it translates better on the page than it does on film because when you're watching it on film everything's just there in front of you 
and on the page there's an inherent subtext to everything and like the like point of view and the and and um character perspective and like what is being noticed versus like what's not being noticed and what's being talked about what's not being talked about um this is just it's very cronenberg centric i don't know there is there is a uh, i found the like an ethereal intrusion really like palpable in this movie of which is gone in some of the other in, in the, a lot of the best Cronenberg stuff is not there. I can feel Cronenberg, the director, like working here um, and pulling strings and kind of like manipulating things and asking people to do things and go places with the intent that like well, most people wouldn't go here. Most people aren't going to do this. People aren't going to like this movie. Um, it never feels honest to me to that yeah. to that point. Yeah, there's so basically the the plot of the film is James Spader is James Ballard. He's kind of in oh I forgot we were going to do that. Not necessarily a loveless relationship, but in a very complicated relationship with his wife Catherine, Mm -hmm. played by uh, Deborah Kara Unger, who disappeared. Um, It's because she did only this for like a long time. Then she like popped up in like the two thousands with some stuff. I remember right. Their clothes still on. Um, I hope they're, so. they're both in an open marriage. Uh, they are unhappy, unsatisfied sexually with that. Um, James gets in a car crash, um, injuring himself, um, and meets during that time, uh, Dr. Helen Remington played by Holly Hunter. Um, from there that kind of cascades into, uh, meeting Dr. Robert Vaughn played by Ilya Co- Yes, mm-hmm. I, I love that guy though. Every time I, I'm oh, like, every time I see him, I'm like, oh, I like him. I'm so happy he's there. Um, and they uh, have a kink, uh, all of them, of um, being sexually aroused by car crashes and car accidents and replication of famous car accidents, such mm-hmm. as James Dean and Jane Mansfield. Um, those uh, proclivities escalate and escalate and escalate um, where some of the members of this group uh, die um, in these car crashes or create their own car crashes. Vaughn himself dies, um, not before uh, they all engage in multiple sexual escapades with one another. Um, It culminates in James and Catherine performing a similar sort of car accident, Um, but... Catherine escapes with minor injuries and they kind of, in the end, realize replicating the beginning uh, uh, with their sexual dissatisfaction that they're, the high is is losing itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think the you, you speak about Cronenberg being all over this and, and there is, I don't love it when Cronenberg feels like he's controlling his actors because I don't think he's good at directing actors. No, I don't think so either. Um, it's, it's good when he's like, he kind of lets them do what they're doing. As we'll, we'll talk about when we get, yeah. I think, into um, Crimes of the Future, like, but then his relationship with Viggo Mortensen. Because he loves detached performances. Yep. Disinterested performances. And he, I think he thinks that it would work so well here that there is a real detachment from everybody because it shows a detachment from the satisfaction, um, both sexual and you know creatively. All these fil- all four of these films deal with create like dissatisfied, disaffected creatives. Yep. creatives. For sure, um, maybe not so much crimes of the future. He doesn't seem as disaffected. Um, well, because it, but it's it's it doesn't serve the purpose that everybody thinks that it serves. Yeah, we'll talk. About that. Uh, 
but in doing so, it, it ends up. I mean, I, I would say that you know, Ilya Koteas is. Um, sorry, I'm saying that last name wrong. Vaughn is the one that has a little bit of kind of an emotional thirst. But I even he, that, that's even the word, um, to yeah. uh, fire to him. Um, but I don't understand his motivation. Like he explains his motivation, and then even after he explains it, I'm just like, I don't think so. Yeah, and this, and this like, is a film that races. It 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 starts kind of it drops you in the middle of kind of an experience of an, of an of, ass. Of a, of a, yeah, <laughs> but it, it, it it's very reminiscent of a. Uh, of a Twilight Zone, not Twilight, Tales from the Crypt episode that just kind of begins with like a hard <laughs> sex scene. Um, but because of the, it, it just asks you to accept this sort of dissatisfaction, this sort of um, unnatural removement from common human emotion mm-hmm. um, without ever earning that. No, never. Um, and maybe, you know, like they could, like, like they could have cut out the two minutes of opening credits and did a, did a little more with that. Oh, and maybe they could have asked Howard Shore not to do the score for this one. <laughs> that score is <laughs> fucking awful. Well, and I'm not going to shit at Howard, Howard Shore because no, we, well, well I'll, I'll speak positively later right. about and Howard Shore. Like, you know, the best credits, some of the best credits that I've ever seen are in Dead Ringers. And that's like Howard Shore. And Howard Shore's either on or he is off. Right, right. And he is all the way fucking off the yeah. crash. But again, it's I don't know if it's necessarily his fault. I think he had uh he had a mandate and he had an aesthetic that he was trying to match, something vaguely metallic, but also noiry, something like swoony, but like very dark. It almost but I said and I said this about Crimes of the Future, which has a score that I generally kind of like. But the whole movie, I was like, I would love a Scott Walker score. To, to this, I would love something actually metallic and actually aggressive, like in a movie where people are getting into car accidents. You know, my favorite scene in Crash is when <clears throat> um, Vaughn and Ballard have sex with cars. You know what I mean? When like he just is ramming his car into the other. After they yeah. have sex in the car together, they have sex with cars. With ramming cars into each other and, you know, Ballard climaxes and stuff like that. I was like, that shit's fucked up, but that's cool. And, and I think another issue with this, too, is I think Cronenberg is, is so in love in general with sex and just, like, normal sex mm-hmm. that the way he shoots all the regular sex in this is pretty decent. Like, worked pretty well. Yeah, that two It's minute- pretty sensual. And, like, you but- watch it and they'll go, like, okay, you're supposed to... You're supposed to t- like the two minute beginning of that. Like mm-hmm. I'm like this works, and I, I I would assume that the dissatisfaction is supposed to be jarring. Mm-hmm. Uh, like their how they respond to a kind of like a sensual experience, but like it doesn't work when you kind of just jump from the sex to like them being dissatisfied. Well, you know what I thought the whole time when I was watching the beginning of this movie and all like all the normal sex scenes is um, the beginning of Drive My Car. Because there's like real emotion behind like what's happening in those scenes, and and when when Dave, James Spader isn't moaning, he's dead. I mean, he's like dead eyed and dead emotion like the whole time. Like you never get the sense that he's. It's funny because I always kind of thought of this movie as like this is 
right up James Spader's alley because he's such a fucking weirdo. But he seems like sort of disinterested in everything up until the point where he's just kind of like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to be but, interested in this now. But when he's like, have like, I, I guess it's like a quality of James Spader. The dude knows how to like do sex well. Yeah, when he, he was has, grinding on, you know, Deborah Unger for two minutes in the middle of that movie. Yeah, or like with with the Asian woman in the beginning, or with Ilekatias, or and then like later, like in another film, like Secretary. Yeah, like, oh yeah, he knows how to be sexual, and so it doesn't work. Like it works in the in the sense of his his sex scene with Vaughn and some of you know the earlier scenes with um, Catherine. Um, it never never works with Holly Hunter. But that's because Holly Hunter has no business being in this movie. No, <laughs> um, at she, all. She, Needed to be just just in copycat. Um, she was great in I like, copycat. I like copycat. I, I wish, it was, copycat. wish it was gorier. Um, we should do a copycat episode. I'd remake. I should. I'd remake copy. If, if I was a director, I'd remake. That's a movie that could be remade. Would you start by recasting Harry Connick Jr.? No, Harry Connick Jr. is still the killer. He is very good. At it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it doesn't. It, it, to me, that doesn't work because there isn't a disinterest. Like James Spader doesn't shut it off when he's having sex. He's mm-hmm. just like I'm fully involved in this. Um, yeah, and is he fully involved in the sex because it's his wife and he loves her, or are they only fully involved in the non-car accident sex because they're having all the car accident sex? No, I, I just think, or is I that just think why it's, it's I think so, it's just I just think it's, it's bad direction. Right, it's unsatisfying because it's confused. It doesn't. It's not like one thing or the other. The emotions stay kind of static through the whole thing. I don't know. It's weird. It's it is very weird. It's a, yeah. It's a jarring film. It's, I think if you're if you're making a movie about people being titillated by like car accidents, they shouldn't also be titillated by like just normal sex, right? Yeah, you exactly. That should be part of the deviance and part of like is that you are or the you know um uh what's the word you used before? I forget what it is. Um, but that should be part of the subversive nature of it is that like they're only aroused when they're like in these situations, not like when they're just laying on dark blue silk sheets, you know, spooning yeah. and stuff like that for I mean, four minutes. I, I would honestly say that, I mean, it's very, they're very thematically close and it's kind of an easy one to say. But like it makes, I still hate the movie, but it makes me respect Titeon a little more because mm. the aberrance in the sex there. Aberrant, yeah. Is is a little more like when it's when it's not aber when it's heavily into the kink of of the sex. Yes, that is when there's interest, and when it's not, is when there's disinterest. Like well, Julia Ducamore de Cornet does a better job directing that of of direct of not keeping it like just sex is always awesome. Like there's a real. <coughs> Focus separation between the two. And well, I don't know if it's maybe because it's 25 no. years later. Um, I just think that I think she was more committed to not worrying about whether or not the story, the story such as it is, made a whole lot of sense. She was committed to the imagery, which because this doesn't have and any the, tra- of, the traumatic kind right. of like, the feeling. And like so the feeling. And so the, the, the hallucinatory, surreal aspects of this movie come out of come out of like a real a, a real trauma you know what i mean the all those things in the desires in crash come out of like a upper middle class malaise yeah you know, they're just it's just boredom so like when she pushes it 
you know, to where she's having actual sex with a car and, you know, getting his black shit all over her. Or when she even, you know, in the birth scene when her stomach rips open and there's you see metal. Um, or, you know, when she, after she has sex with a car, like her, you know, her ass is all black because of like, you know, just oil and stuff like that. Like those little details. Like James Spader having sex with Rosanna Arquette's scarred leg just doesn't seem to cut it. No. It doesn't cut the mustard because the the vaginal opportunity there is just so obvious. And then there's a couple of scenes too and like they show gashes and cars and like it's a vagina. Like we get it. Yeah, like, I think... this is very obvious. I think the only time in Crash that I'm really unsettled is, is something that isn't sex. It's, it's, uh, there's a sexual power to it, but it's, it's, discomfort- it's uncomfortable is when Gabrielle asks to be like kind of helped into the car by the salesperson. Yeah. Who's, who's just a, like there, for one thing there, there's a, there's a power dynamic there. Like she's telling him to do it. He's being forced now kind of into the situation that is like a sexual provocation for her. That uh-huh. She is getting some sort of sex out of some sort of sex out of some sort of uh, re- pleasure out of, mm-hmm. or, you know, even if it's just psychological, but the lack of the consent in that and then his general discomfort um, is the only part where I'm like, ooh, this is like the one time where I'm really like feeling the fact that like what they're doing is awful. And like they're killing people throughout the movie with their car crashes. Right. Like like non-consenting people. But you never get that because it's so detached. And that's the one point where there's kind of like an interaction between the two where you do feel – I felt a real discomfort and felt like what they're doing – you know, because obviously it is suggesting that like this is going too far, but it mm-hmm. never really does feel like it's going too far, except then. Right, and that's really interesting because if that movie had been that, like more of that, right? There's if more in, um, yes, more less car crashes, inserting them their proclivities on people through like the automobiles, and more of them asserting their proclivities like in more human ways. Like so, you get a real sense of the discomfiture of like being in like in that world, but not knowing you're in that world. Like these people are up to something that like you're not a part of. And like, what the fuck is that about? So I had a similar situation. I had a similar feeling during a scene. And that was after, um, the car wash scene when like Vaughn goes to town on Deborah Unger. Mm-hmm. And like, then like that we just cut, they cut to them to Ballard and, um, Catherine in the bedroom. And he's got his hand over the bruises on her leg and she seems like very uncomfortable but and he's not like he's clearly like turned on by it and she's like she's like bruised all over but she clearly like wants to die like by the end of the movie like when he's like you know yeah, he says like you know maybe, maybe next, next time, time when maybe she's next like time. am i okay and she's like i think so and he's like maybe next time like i'm not sure why it's like the first time I, you, it's the first time you get a sense like oh she's like not happy yeah, she's not, okay. and she's not. This isn't. She's not doing this for fun. She's doing this for pain, and um, the fact that she just like every like it got a. The fact that she's not even really in the rest of the movie until like the very end, of, like the very last scene, just was kind of like this is weird. Like because she's like the one person in pain, but like he's having sex with Rosanna Arquette's leg for like a little bit. Like there's and Rosanna Arquette's not even in the movie, and then all of a sudden she's like. There in the movie again, yeah. and just kind of like, what the? Why is this happening? I don't get it. Yeah, and I, I think that's I think that's where is where, where the, I find the most interest is is these like 
this this non-consent issue and this forcing issue because of the fact that it is, you know, like the first accident is through his just disinterest and, you know, through not paying attention to right. the road sort of thing. And so you do – and they're using people. Like we open this film with just use. Yep. Like, like it's obviously free use, but use – using other people for their own into their thing. So there is an entire lack of um, communication between their free partner, like mm-hmm. they're the partners they're going outside of the marriage for. Uh, you get that kind of sense at least. Um, and, you know, I want to see more of that because I think like that's, especially like Ballard in general, like from his, like from what I know of his writing, I still haven't read anything. Um, goes with that, like of people in certain positions of power, you know, wealthy people, well-off people dominating others in um, hedonistic sort of ways, not necessarily sexual ways, but including sexual ways, but hedonistic sort well, of ways. So I think what you're describing is more, can be more accurately defined as people, people being, certain people being aware of the forces like that, People like just take for granted every day. So the Vaughn character, who expre- expresses this very clumsily, I think in the film, in the novel, you get more of a sense that like people don't understand like what driving is. You know what I mean? Like it's it's this and what a co- because of they don't understand that they don't understand like what a car accident is. It's this like violence that only exists like on one level. It only exists here. And this moment, it, and it never exists. If you never get in another car accident again, you'll never experience it again. Yeah, there's and that there's kind of like lazy a power, throwaway power line from Ballard right. after he gets in the first car accident. Well, that's the whole thing with like the Cronenberg, the Cronenberg cultural message movie, which we're going to talk about when we talk about crimes of the future, is that like there's movies built around ideas, but sometimes the idea is only expressed and is you know um, it's expressed in exposition. Like, it's not expressed in, like, metaphor or whatever like that. Although the metaphors do exist, he often ex- will still express it in exposition, and it's less satisfying a reason for any of the things to be happening than you really kind of want it to be. Like, so this is the reason that you're, like, just ramming cars into each other is, like, because it, like, feels, like, interesting? Like, that seems not great. Yeah. You know what I mean? But in a movie, all you're doing is seeing cars ramming into each other. But in the book... There's like a subtext to the idea that's always more inherent in literature than it is like on film. And as we kind of established with Cronenberg, I don't know, maybe we didn't say it on the podcast, he shoots things very plainly. So this is a very plain movie. So when he just shows cars ramming into each other, it's not done like, you know, a Michael Bay movie. It's just two cars slamming into each other. It definitely feels like a car accident that would happen in, you know, an H. T.S. whatever National Highway Safety video. Oh yeah, NHS yeah, yeah. T video. Well, the fact that they're all sitting around watching those like crash test dummy videos, and they're like, ugh, they're all getting all hard and shit like that. They're like, you know, got a, their hands in each other's crotches. I was like, is this the same? They're dummies. Like, how is this the same? Is yeah. it just the car accident, or is it like you in the car accident? Is it people in the car accident, or can it be anything? On a, on a on a test Put site. some watermelons in a car. Yeah, what the fuck? Ooh. Like, is that the same? I don't know. Imagine all those watermelons exploded. Push. All the brine. The seeds. Can't pick them up. Because they're slimy. Imagine a, a watermelon in a Cronenberg movie. What people could do to that. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Gallagher. That's the next one. Is he dead? I think he is dead, yeah. What if Cronenberg's next movie is a Gallagher um, (laughs) biopic? (laughs) Bet you if he's not, he's still alive, but I bet you he got canceled. He did not get canceled. Carrot Top got canceled, right? No, he's, he's apparently had a heart attack. No, it's too bad for Gallagher. Uh, In 2012. He's fine. Good job, Gallagher. You, You made it. He had a conflict with his brother, apparently. <gasps> oh, no. Poor Gallagher. Yeah, no. Uh, Crash, Crash is not. It was weird. It was not a fun... It, for a movie that's, like, so out of print as to seem, like, illicit, it was not, like... It did not ring, did not ring my bells. Yeah. Someone who likes to have their buttons pushed, like, and gets kind of, you know, a thrill out of that type of stuff, it was not pushing the appropriate buttons. No, it's just it's not. I mean, obviously, twenty one years ago, but it still doesn't feel controversial in the least. It doesn't. No, maybe it was twenty one years ago. I mean, it was just a lot of sex in a movie, in like a regular movie. Um, but even like Roger Ebert mentions he's like sliver it's, level or sliver or whatever that was. Silver sliver, yeah. yeah. Sliver levels of sex. Yeah, remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, never saw it. But is that William Baldwin? Yeah, Billy Baldwin. Um, yeah, I mean, Roger Ebert was like, oh, this is porno. But, like, it has other themes which make it not pornographic. It's like, okay, whatever you want, Roger. He said that about Crash? Yeah. No. Yeah. He gave it three and a half stars, though. I would not call this pornographic. It's, I, I, get his, I get what he's saying in the sense that, like, it's, there's just random parts where people are just, like, having sex. And there's not, like, a ton of reason for it. They're just, like, doing it. And it's long. And you get to see a lot. And there's... You know, like, there is, there's no penises, which I always think is weird about the Cronenberg movies, is that, like, there's all these naked women all over the place, and there's no penises. Well, finally, we got, we got penis in Crimes of the Future. Whose penis do we see? The, the little boy's penis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when he's dead, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway. Uh, I think, I think you might get a quick shot of Viggo Mortensen's in Eastern Promises. In Eastern Promises. I'm sure he wasn't, like, against it. He just didn't use it. Yeah. He was probably he was definitely naked the whole thing. It's Viggo Mortensen. No, for sure. He does pro- probably wanted to be naked during Crimes of the Future. I, I heard he wanted to be naked in Two Towers, and Peter Jackson wanted it as well. And somebody, but I'm sure you know, whoever made that movie was like, "No, you can't." I Orlando can't Bloom was just like, "I can't, I can't." Yeah, Orlando Bloom is one to put his foot down. Listen, it's no good. <laughs> Dick Envy. <laughs> Orlando Bloom's too much of a grower. Yeah, Vigo Morrison's so? a constant shower. Do you think so? Um, that'd be funny. Um, neither of those people are in our next movie, Mario. No, but Jude Law is. He's basically a Orlando very Bloom. young baby Jude Law. I think he's like yeah, twenty-seven in this. Oh, he's awful. This, this is movie. This is pre Road to Perdition Jude Law. That's a, was his like big. And he was really. That's funny. He was really good in Road to Perdition. Yeah. I thought it wasn't talented, Mister Ripley, his breakout. Or is that after? No, Talented Mr. Ripley's is, yeah. I guess I always think of Road to Perdition as his breakout, but Talented Mr. Ripley's I love 2000. Him and Road, it's like the one thing I liked about Road to Perdition was him. Not even, not even Daniel Craig? No, because I don't remember who he was in that. He's the son. The one that's like, gets killed by. Oh, he's um, um, Paul Newman's son? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, now I remember. Oh, uh, yeah. So the next film we're talking about is Existence. Beyond description. 
the not-too-distant future, Allegra Geller has created the ultimate escape. The possibilities are so great. This is amazing. A parallel universe called Existence. Now I'm warning you. It's going to be a wild ride. It taps into your deepest emotions. You're the power source. Your body, your nervous system, your energy. It unleashes your wildest urges. I can't help myself. Please, Fang. I've got a serious urge to kill someone here. Do it. It's just a game. But it's the first genuine threat to reality. It's a lot more fun when it starts feeling realer than real. Someone wants it stopped at all costs. You're worth a lot of money. Five million dollars for your dead body. Step into my office. Allegra, we need help. The only way I can tell if everything's okay is to play existence with somebody friendly. Are you friendly? Play with me. Go ahead. Take so, it away. Existence is uh, 1999. Going back to the body horror. It's like, you know, the first body horror sci-fi-ish movie he did since. A while after this, right? Let me see. Oh, like, this like, is like, after, like between Existence like not, and Crimes of the Future? No, no. Like, be, like I'm thinking... So what? He doesn't really do a body horror. I wouldn't call Naked Lunch necessarily a body horror. So he doesn't do a body horror film. Dead Ringer says some aspects, but between The Fly and Existence, I would say. Like, that's... Yeah, because there's elements of that stuff in, in uh, like a lot of these movies, but he's I wouldn't say he's going out of his way to do anything like totally ruinous to a body for... Um, like a reason... Like an out of context reason, you know what I mean? There's yeah. people's heads get faces get blown off with gunshots and shit like that, but he's not doing, um, he's not doing crazy stuff. There's nothing overly fleshy that's happening yeah. in the other movies. And this is the last fleshy movie he does until Crimes of the Future, right? Which is interesting and really, it's I'm, maybe I found it more interesting than you did, um, because you've seen this movie a lot. The the um, game consoles that they're playing with are so much just it's like a combination the little thing they use for the autopsy machine is in crimes of the future is like a combination of the game console and existence and then like the typewriter and naked lunch you know what i mean it function it like you use it the same way with your hands but it looks like some like simon yeah color but it looks like the like has the same coloring and stuff in the scaliness of like the typewriter, it's really weird. Yeah. Although the uh, game pods look more uh, fleshlighty. Yeah. What's uh, explain what these what these game pods are? Robert. So yeah, uh, Allegra Geller 
is a video game designer who creates these virtual reality games. Um, basically, they are fleshy contraptions where you plug yourself into the back of the spine and you dip into a game. One of those games is Existence. That's the game she designed. Um, currently, there are terrorists called realists who don't like the fact that there's virtual reality. They don't like the fact that the veil between real life and the virtual reality is so obscured. What do you think those guys would think of Free Guy? Will they be pro or against Free Guy? Good question. I think, I think they, would, they would be indifferent. Mm. The free guy was because like, it's yeah. not yourself in there. It's yeah. still just like a like avatar. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm sorry. Continue. It's not so bio. It's not so biological. Not well, so as we fleshy. as we see, some some people just don't want stuff in their spines. True. Um. After the assassination attempt, uh, she is carried away by Ted Pickle Pickel, uh, played by Jude Law, a young Jude Law. Jeffrey Jason Lee's 37 in this too. She does not look 30. She well, she does not, but she also seems like super disinterested. Like once again, I think that's just a, <laughs> I think that's just a Cronenberg thing where he's just like act disinterested. Do you want me to put this in your back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? Um, and so they're on the run. Uh, it is learned that there is a price on Allegra's head. Uh, which we find out from the great Willem Dafoe, Dafoe, who has not done enough Cronenberg movies, right? No. He's willing to go all the way with his body. Yeah. You got to put him in some movies. Yeah. Fuck him up. Yeah. Cronenberg, come on. Fuck him up, Cronenberg. Fuck him up. Um, he gives Ted a faulty bioport, because Ted doesn't have a bioport. Um... He is also killed. Eventually, they realize that to kind of uncover the conspiracy and uncover what is going on, they need to go into the game. And so they go into the game. And this is Ted's first experience with this. And once again, we get sabotage back and forth. A kind of just a typical sort of espionage story. Mm-hmm. I think this movie is pretty typical with its plot. It's very much a Cronenberg popcorn film. I would say of all of his filmography... This is the one movie where Cronenberg's like, I don't care about the, this is a very basic plot with some high body horror stuff. There you go. Yeah, it seems very, um, it seems all very simple and he's not trying to do anything like too crazy. Yeah. um, Or push many limits. Like even with the body horror stuff, it's definitely there, but it's not like, you know, rewriting the genre. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely Geiger-esque, which is interesting. Like Mm. more so than any of Especially with the bone gun. Yeah, the bone gun, um, even those fleshy the, the game pods have kind of yep. Geiger-esque level to them. And like you see that a bit in Naked Lunch when, you know, Bill and Joan are having sex. You kind of see kind of like a Geiger-esque creation. But this is kind of the most like, it's not, it's, I wouldn't particularly call this a body horror-esque sort of film. It's got some aspects of that. It's got like, elements of it, but it's not, yeah, it's not riding on that, you know. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, the espionage goes back and forth. We eventually learn that Ted himself is a realist and he attempts to kill Allegra. But uh, when she had tried to fix his diseased bioport, she had actually put a bomb in it because she had figured out 
that he was a, a realist and she blows him up and she wins the game because we learned that this entire story all along has been actually a game of trans, uh, transcendence, um, which is a similar sort of VR game. It's mm. not doesn't really connect <clears throat> into you, though. It's just more a little like we expect in Black Mirror yeah, like yeah. later on, just on your head. Um, created by Norrish, who's uh, Don McKellar, who we'll talk about in a bit with Crimes of the Future. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Norrish is uncomfortable because there's a lot of anti-game sentiment that was in the game that wasn't his idea. And we find out that Allegra and Ted, who are a couple in real life, um, are actually realists or whatever the realist would be. Uh, And they murder um, Norrish and uh, famed director Sarah Polly. Uh, (laughs) And as they leave, they're asked by one of the other game players if, uh, they're still in the game. Uh-huh. Um, I've talked about this before. This is a movie that is in my 150, my extended pivotal film list mm. for no particular reason, except the fact that like, this is something I watched constantly a lot when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when I was doing the Cronenberg thing, kind of getting into the Cronenberg, this is the one I kind of kept coming back to just because it's, it, it's so undemanding. And dumb. I, I, I look at this now and, like, I don't think this is in my, like, 150 anymore, obviously. Like, it would fall, like, as I get older, it would drop off. But it's still something I find a lot of fun because it's so unassuming and isn't asking a lot, but still just has these interesting things to look at. Yeah, it's, it's, um, What's the guy's name? I'm now I'm bl- I'm blanking on the director. He did Living in Oblivion. Oh, so Tom DeChillo. It reminded me a lot of a Tom DeChillo movie, where there's a lot of medium shots. Like you had talked about lighting before, um, maybe even before we went on. Um, some of this, some of this is lit fairly cinematically, but some of it is just kind of like in rooms and you're just like, why are they in this room? And it feels like the light source is everywhere. Right. And you're just kind of like, what is like, it, it feels like a studio because it right. feels or like, just like all the overhead lights or like it was a space he could get for free from someplace. And so he, they're just like going to use that. And you know, when you go into a virtual reality thing, it's just, it's, it's pretty drinkable. Yeah. It's very drinkable. Um, we're drinking two cons, easy ale. Now it was a two roads beer with a Yukon logo on it. It's got a, it's a four point, whatever, Goes down easy. Yeah, I think it's a like a four point two or something like that. Got a little bit of an ale-y bite to it. Yeah, um, which I which I which I enjoy. It's got that copperiness of an amber that mm. I like. Um, I've never poured one of these in a glass. I'd be curious to know what it looks like. Um, it is. It's it's unassuming and not trying very hard. Did you just pour it out? I didn't little? mean to, but it looks <laughs> it's 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 straw colored. Oh, okay. Um. It's the the movie is unassuming and it's not trying very hard. Um, it still has all the Cronenbergy themes in it, like you know, um, the way that into the game is through the body. You know, what I mean, if you're gonna live in a virtual reality simulator, what does that mean for your like your physical self? Um, you know, you're jamming fleshy objects into the base of your spine through like a hole that someone's putting into you with a 
machine that looks like a so, like an auto tool. I know you said you didn't finish it. You got to where he ordered the special. Did mm-hmm. you get to where he was assembling the gun? No. Okay, so that is for me. For like in terms of like the besides the Cronenbergs that are on my list, um, that are on my pivotal film list, like one of the more interesting moments in it. So the special is this really disgusting food. Mm. It's it's that I think it's actually that two headed uh, that two-headed? dragony the frog dragony thing. thing, yeah. And he is disgusted by it, but he's compelled to eat it. Mm-hmm. And we sit there for a good two minutes and just watch Jude Law play pretend to eat this thing. And like his hand gets more and more covered with jello, it looks like. Kind of like a jello or a chickeny fat oh. kind of substance. And the sound kind of just goes very slurpy. And he's just slowly assembling this gun because it's a compulsion because of the game. Um, and he pulls out the bridge from his mouth and for because of the two teeth bullets. Yeah. Um, and I just remember when I watched and then he kills the Jap- the Chinese waiter um, in a very kind of like surprisingly because this film is it has you know squibs but it's, it's a graphically violent shoot like shot right where he obliterates the guy's face um, in a very kind of not realistic. Of course, yeah, but whatever. Way. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's much more when Stephen McCaddy gets shot in History of Violence is a little more disturbing because it looks real. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's such an intriguing scene because it it's so long. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good like two minute long scene when he the Jude Law's just eating this. Oh, I wish I hadn't fallen asleep. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that's the thing I always come back to, and just the general like I just love the the dumb nonsense plot. But just this, this intrigue of Cronenberg being like, I need this scene in this like 92-minute-long movie. Yeah, where very efficient. Where Jude Law yeah. is just eating this thing and slowly putting together this bone but gun. But don't you get the impression that that's probably where he started with the movie? Absolutely. Yeah. Bone, no, it feels- bone gun shoots teeth, guy eats weird thing to create bone gun. Yeah, and that's... that's it's, Where, what, what can I make around this idea? Yeah, and for a film that isn't body horror, it is, it is like of all the Cronenberg things, except for some of the moments in The Fly, um, well, except for The Fly, I would say like the entirety of The Fly, like the one thing from all of Cronenberg until Crimes of the Future, where I'm like, this is fucking gross. And like, it does get under my skin. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, like all the things that people say about Cronenberg, like this, I think the reason I love like this movie so much is because that much like, Ugh. Mm. like why? Cause like, it's, it's not only that it's like, obviously Jude Law is not cons- probably consuming anything, but the fact that his hands are just getting more and more covered in jello. Well, so here's a chicken fat. And here's a good, and that's a really interesting point. I think if you compare it to something like crimes of the future, crimes of the Future's squishy, fleshy stuff is all reminiscent of other objects in the movie. So bone or like um, like an exoskeleton, you know what I mean? So like the fleshy little autopsy manipulator that they use seems like it belongs the in... Sark. Sar- it seems like it belongs like inside of whatever the Sark was. And this is not in the movie, but the Sark looks like a hu- uh, the shell of a huge bug, right? Mm. It's got this these kind of like... Um, you know, these striations on it, and it's, it's like, like a winged kind to me, of creature. To me it, looks, it looks more like the engineer's um, 
kind of like chair from a lot of crimes of the future just reminds me of alien. Oh, oh, oh. but that, but that's all that stuff has is, seems organic. Yeah. The Stark seems organic and this thing, thing seems oh, like absolutely. Of, I guess, I guess of a piece. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the weird thing about, I thought about um, existence is that like the game existence, existence, uh, so pretentious. <laughs> um, I think I'm, I think I'm maybe I'm saying like that because like Jennifer Jason Lee says X, it like capital Z. Jason, Jennifer, Jennifer Jason Lee says it like differently in the like opening speech like ten different times. Like she couldn't be bothered to get like the actual pronunciation down. Um, those game consoles are just like masses, and I think this is where like the Cronenberg body horror is different than like other people's body horror because it's not necessarily like something you're doing to the body. It's like the body is made of this, these component parts. What if other stuff was made of that component part? What if like the whole world was just full of like flesh? And, and, it, and it's like a thing that is different from a lot of body horror is it becomes like tumorous, right? And that's right. it's really dwelled into in Crimes of the Future of like that tumorous sort of growth mm-hmm. and all these things that kind of exist outside and have that fleshy qualityness to them look like either mounds of fat or a tumor, or a, or a, or a hernia, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. they, they yeah, look yeah, yeah. like parts of the body that should not be, right? And and but but in a very natural way, like like you know we could say that Titian is body horror because it has the elements of body horror, but metal on the body feels it's like it doesn't object. belong there. Right, yeah, absolutely. a lot of body horror is like things that do not belong. Right. And I would say like two degree Cronenberg and then, you know, James Gunn borrows from Cronenberg a lot um, to do those similar things. Um, those have the elements of a very still human-esque growth, like things that feel as though if you saw that fleshy game console protruding from somebody's scrotum in real life, you could believe that as, mm. as a hernia. You know, yeah, um, yeah. They, they do feel still very real mm-hmm um yeah absolutely and he's and i think it's one of the things that he's really good at is and the pods are umbilical cords for the game <laughs> yeah they, they never look like anything other than umbilical cords so when she's first like unwinding hers to like you know you know get this demonstration going in the very beginning of the movie you're like it's an umbilical cord like right is this what's going to happen here and you don't have any like if, if you know it was the first time i'd seen the movie really um this was your first time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was aware of it, and I'd seen, like, I knew um, that there was a bone gun that shot teeth. So it's a Cronenberg movie. So all of these Cronenberg movies kind of, except for, like, Eastern Promises and History of Violence, kind of fit. And Spider. No, Spider I remember because I was working at a video store when Spider came out. So I actually got a chance to see Spider. Oh, I meant, like, I thought you were going to say it fit into, like, a kind of world of Cronenberg. But Spider, I think, also doesn't. Oh, really? It doesn't? You don't think so? No, I'm just even thinking the idea that... Um, the world of Cronenberg is not necessarily of the movies, but of the way that the culture, um, the culture like receives him. Got, so got every Cronenberg movie is like, is immediately relegated to cult status. It can never be mainstream except history of violence and Eastern promises. Um, were like eventually accepted as like mainstream movies got nominated for Oscars, you yeah. know, you know, won tons of awards, all that other stuff. Um, there, you know, that brief moment when Cronenberg was like, a bankable, in a way, like, director. And it's weird because those movies, and we've talked a little bit about this, um, 
beforehand, those movies don't seem like Cronenberg movies in a way. Like there's he's using different camera techniques. He's they, they're not they're as very plain. cinematic. Right. There's the performances are not detached. Like even in Existence, we're getting detached kind of emotionless performances throughout. In those films, we're getting... And Spy- Spider also is not very... Right, Spider's absolutely. very emotional. But, but Spider's after that, too. It's yeah. Spider's in that weird renaissance where he's, like, making different Cinema. kinds of he's movies. He's making yeah. very kind of grounded films. But to the point where, like, he would never probably in those movies... But this is a whole... This is a different thing. And this is, like, speaks to something you said before. Ray Fiennes and... Ray Fiennes or Joseph Fiennes? Uh, I'm also Spider. Ray Fiennes. Yeah, I think it is, too. Um... In, obviously in Eastern Provinces in History of Violence. Um, it is right, Fines. And... Oh, forgot Gabriel Burns in that, too. But even... And then even going to, like, Cosmopolis and Map of the Stars, like... Never saw Map of the Stars. Rap, so we'll talk a little bit... I'm not going to go into too much detail about it, but, like, some of the crimes of the future stuff reminds me a little bit of Map of the Stars and, like, as opposed to, like, what everyone wants to stick it in the body horror stuff. I think it belongs in the kind of, like, Don DeLillo, like culture polemic thing that he's kind of working on. Pattinson is delivering that stuff in the way that he's delivering that stuff in Cosmopolis because that's what how DeLillo writes and at the time that Pattinson had made that movie, that was all he could do. You know what I mean? So it's, it also has that detachedness to it. Cronenberg, in going forward, is never working with an actor like young Jude Law who misses a beat and, says, and then says the line and he's also not leaving that in the movie. But that happens a bunch of times in Existence when, like, Jennifer Jason Lee says something and he's just like, you got a something, something. And he's just like, why did you like, yeah. edit that shit out? Why, why no, did it, you do that? No, it's very raw feeling. Yeah, it is very raw feeling. And that has a charm to it that I think is only acceptable in a movie from a director like David Cronenberg where everything is supposed to feel a little... Everything should feel a little raw. The best Cronenberg stuff, I think, feels a little like it doesn't feel yeah. good. Even like Eastern Promises in um, like History of Violence doesn't feel good for a ton of reasons. Eastern Promises, I remember when I saw Eastern Promises, and we've talked about this on the podcast for sure. Like I just did. I even though it, he looks like Vigo the whole time, I just was pretty sure it wasn't Vigo Mortensen. Like he lost. He got fucking lost inside of whatever he was doing. I didn't even know if the accent was any good. I was just like, he's gone. And that feels weird. Like, yeah. It just feels very strange. Yeah, and I think there's, there's something to be said. Like I mentioned with Naked Lunch, not so much with Crash, but then with this, that there, there is a charm to it. Like there's a charm yes. and there's a lightness to it. And even something like, the, even a film like The Fly or Videodrome, like they all do have that kind of weird charm to them. Or Dead Riggers, too, which, like, for a, for a little bit has this, it attempts to be cinematic, and then at some point it stops him to be cinematic. But you know Jeremy Irons is always trying. But that's the whole thing, yeah. is that Jeremy Irons is, like, created a movie almost out of nothing. Exactly. Like, um, and it's it's so compelling, and I, I love it so much. It might be, like, in my one of my favorite Cronenberg movies. It might be my favorite Cronenberg movie. Um, like, just, like, taken in... in Grand yeah. scope, like you know, history of violence will always mean more to me because it like, kicked my ass all over the place. But like, Dead Ringers, watching it, I just watched it um, um, for the because it was on a list of things that we might talk about for the podcast, and I was just like, oh, it's just so, it's just so rich, and his performance is so rich, and even like, you know, 
Genevieve Bujold, who is just so weird. Like, she keeps saying that she's a little girl through the whole movie. And it's like, you are, I'm not sure how old you are when you made this. But you, if you're 30, you're like 80s 30. Which means that you've done so much cocaine that you're 50. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's what's going on in that movie. But it's just, he just powers through. the And even these scenes, remember the scene in Crash where they come upon the car accident and they're all just like standing around and Elias Cotillas is just taking pictures and they're, they're just kind of like yeah, dead well, faced. It's, it's, five, it's five minutes long. So and James Spader's like over here at one point and then he's like over here like getting some stuff off the car and then he's like it's just staring an hour deadly. they take off the jaws of life so we right. reveal um, um, Connor, not Connor, the, the, the stunt man who yeah, yeah, yeah. dressed up as Jane Mansfield. You did it without me. Did the Jane Mansfield? Um, they do that shit in Dead Ringers, and it's so com- it's so much more compelling of just like four minutes of no of of just Jeremy Irons acting with just Howard Shore's score behind it. Yeah, and like one is you're just kind of like all right, all right, all right, and the other one you're just like whatever he's doing here, like let me see it. Like I want to, I just want to be in the room for whatever's going to come next, and I think. If we want to lead into the conversation, Crimes of the Future seem to kind of like do both things simultaneously for me, um, and that's why I'm like so I'm so interested to kind of to dig into it because it was a much more complicated film experience than I thought it was going to. Be. Well, so it's ultimately just just to finish with existence, like what's ultimately your feeling? I think it's a good time, yeah, which I think is weird for Cronenberg movies aren't supposed to be like a good time. The yeah. Fly is a good time for very obvious reasons. But it's so, but it is, it is grotesque enough to where like parts of it aren't a good time. Absolutely. And this is never grotesque enough to not, except for like that kind of like gross eating scene. But even still, that's like weirdly compelling. Especially like when, with everything else that leads up to it, like that is like the grossest thing that happens. And you're just kind of like, what, like what is. It? But it's kind of funny still because it's a game. I'm going to go back and watch it. Yeah. But like the way you describe it, I'm just kind of like, what, how did this end up in this movie? Because that's not where you would have thought it was going. Yeah. Per se. But, like, it's just so ca- – that's why when I say, like, the living in oblivion, like, the Tom Chillo stuff, that stuff's just so casual and, like, laid back and, like, I don't want to say tossed off because, like, everyone worked hard on these movies. But Cronenberg clearly just had an idea and then, like, executed it in a way. It was like, all right, that's – that's I made that movie. It's like this it, – for a musician, it's like a sixth record where, like, your last movie you had a bunch of ideas – or their last record you had a bunch of ideas and this record – you have less ideas, but like it doesn't mean that the songs you were working on aren't like pretty good. Yeah, and you don't you have a bunch of them, so I guess I'll make a record. But it's not like pushing the envelope. It's not trying anything new. It's just kind of like like even Crash for like all of its faults. It's like we want to go and tour, but so we need like right exactly. We, we need, need something, something to sell. We need a reason. We need that something we'll to have put a couple on a poppy jams. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Crash, for all of its faults, is still like an is like a thematically and culturally interesting movie for what it was, especially like Showgirls. I think came out the year before, and you know was reviled, and then Crash came out and was just kind of like, oh, maybe we were too hard on Showgirls. Like I wonder if people, <laughs> I wonder if people said that like after the fact, like ah, oh, maybe maybe just naked Elizabeth Berkeley was okay. Maybe that was fine. Because James Spader well, just had was, sex with a that, leg scar. There was that period. Wasn't there the period scene in, in Showgirls 2 that everyone says? Yeah. I, 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 I believe there's a movie called Carrie that exists out there. That's like 
much worse than any other period scene could ever be in the history of movies. I don't that's, know. That's pretty fair. Um, but we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll do Crimes of the Future. See, now we're, we're all warmed up. Yeah. Now we are all warmed up, Mario. We did it. <laughs> we got back to where we usually are. I can feel you pulling things around in there. It's a brand new organ. Never before seen. We've all felt that the body was empty. Empty of meaning. And we've wanted to confirm that. So that we could fill it with meaning. The world is a much more dangerous place. Now that pain has all but disappeared. Surgery is sex, isn't it? Is it? You know it is. Surgery is the new sex. I don't like what's happening with the body. In particular, what's happening with my body. Which is why I keep cutting it up. What do you think they'd find inside it? Outer space. Whoops. Sorry. Let us not be afraid to map the chaos inside. Let us create a map that will guide us into the heart of darkness. All right, so we finally come to the main event. We are going to talk about Crimes of the Future. First joint new movie of 2022. Yeah, which is, you know, it's good. We've gotten to happen eventually. Well, it's good that it happened with this one. I was super interested in it. Um, in Crimes of the Future, Viggo Mortensen plays Saul Tenser. Um, he, uh, the world um, is one in which humans have, it's like in the future, like the distant future but not too it's, distant future it's, it's like it's a vague kind, of, kind yeah. of future where people have evolved to the point where they're not really feeling pain anymore but they've also evolved to the point where the human body is growing new organs um in Saul Tenser's case he feels that they are like tumors they're not there they don't really serve a purpose they grow they cause pain it's like the one pain he feels or that anyone really feels because his partner um Caprice. Caprice, played by Leah Sadu, asked him a couple of times, like, what, what is it like to feel pain? Because he feels it, like, inside of himself, and he has trouble swallowing, and he has trouble breathing, and, and all this other it's stuff. it's an interesting pain, right? Like, we're, we didn't get the, yeah, didn't and get the sense that it's, like, an actual, like, extreme no, pain, she'll ask like him what new, it feels like, and he'll give these really, like, um... Emotional descriptions. Yeah, exactly. Pain, um, so it's, it's interesting. Um, they are a, a performance team. They do these, what they call shows where he will get into this modified autopsy machine and she will perform using this like fleshy mass control thing. Um, that's very Cronenberg. Like you said before, that's like, looks like Simon inside of like frog guts. Um, she'll perform these autopsies and um, they will extract, she will tattoo his or new organ, his useless organ. I'll put that in quotes. She'll extract it live in front of people. Um, and then it has, and so in, in that experience, Cronenberg is making all these, and we know he's making them because people are saying them, um, comments on art 
and like what it means to be an artist and like how is this art I just you know someone asked him like I just I forget what the question was he's like I did something like is that art and then um Kristen Stewart and the aforementioned Don McKellar, who is great in this. I love Don McKellar. Um, play these people that work for this National Oregon Registry, but they're both also... Also, talk about a guy who's like... You know, you hear the guys, like, when as they get older, they get more handsome. Don McKellar, you got it. You got I thought he was one. doing good in this movie, yeah. yeah. Um, he, looks, he looks okay in Exit Stones, but he's, uh, he's getting yeah. the grizzled Hollywoodness to him. Mm. I like. Well, like George Clooney parts soon. Don McKellar. <laughs> That's my attempt to do a lady's voice um, for one person in particular. They have they work for the National Organ Registry and they want like these people to register their organs. Like the people that are developing new organs, they want them to be registered so they can kind of track this evolution of the human body. Um, but they're also like super interested in like what people are doing to themselves. So they keep going to all of these um, performances of people like modifying their bodies or mutilating their bodies. There's one woman that they go to see who's like having um, a plastic surgeon like cut up her face because she doesn't want people to like acknowledge her beauty. Like, so and they, the way that she cut it up, she has like scales all over, like big gill like things on her cheeks and on her forehead. It looked Klingon ish to me. Right. But she still kind of looks pretty. And I thought it was an interesting performance. It's very symmetrical. So it's, it, it retains its beauty. And she seems to feel that like she's internalized the fact that like, even with this, you can't, she can't really escape like, what she looks like and stuff like that, but that inspires Caprice to get these kind of implants in her forehead. Doesn't cashews. matter. Is that what it is? I just, they just look they like do cashews. They do look like cashews, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like half moons. Um, but Saul is, and we haven't even gotten to like the plot of this movie yet. We're hedging toward it. Saul really doesn't want to have this shit in his body. He kind of feels it's, um, you know, he feels they are tumorous. He feels they do not have any kind of um, uh, biological value. They're just growing inside of him and he takes them out and he's worked it into like uh, these, these theories of art. Um, and, um, but, so he is teaming up with the police in this area, this this vice unit. New vice. New vice unit. Why did you call it that? Because it sounds better than whatever the guy says. Uh, what's that guy's name? He is played by... Uh, that's that's Cope, right? By yeah. Welkit Bunjay. And you look good. Um, he's working with him to try to f- to ferret out some bad actors in this whole in this whole human evolution scene. And those bad actors are represented by one Scott Speedman, who uh, had a son who we meet in the beginning of the movie and is killed in the beginning of the movie by his mother, who can eat plastic. Um, and he digests plastic, and we find out that Scott Speedman and a bunch of other people have had the surgery. Scott Speedman's character, not Scott Speedman, the person. Well, he, he, he wouldn't be a method actor. Have had the surgery that allows them to eat a synthetic material, and that synthetic material is just a berry power bar that is apparently plastic. Um, and they make this plastic, and they eat this plastic, and they, you know, it's their sustenance. But his son, who got killed in the beginning of the movie by his mother, who like thought of him as a creature, um, was biologically able to consume this plastic somehow. He was the one born. No one is so it's very natural. Very Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Um, you know how like a, a a human was born of replicants. Um, uh, so the mom kills him. Scott Speedman's trying to get like a 
he wants to make a big statement, so he convinces Saul and Caprice to use his son in an autopsy. Um, to like show the world like how this, this a new kid, biology exactly um, doesn't go necessarily as planned. Some uh, I'm not even going to get into the rest of like how Scott Speedman dies because it, <laughs> well we can talk about it. I guess we talk about other aspects. We're going to talk film. about that part. Um, the movie ends. Spoiler. It's my favorite scene. <laughs> so weird. Um, the movie ends with uh, them kind of asking the question of Saul. Like, maybe you have these organs for a reason. And Saul spends the whole movie, like, struggling to eat, struggling to, like, get breath. He's just, like, coughing the whole Call time. the breakfaster. The breakfaster, which is just, like, this bone chair, which, like, rocks, which is supposed to, like, optimize your ability to, like, chew and swallow and digest and stuff, which seems, like, very half-made. But <laughs> that's, you know, we'll talk about that stuff um, in the overall thing. He uh, is given some of this plastic... And the bone chair stops moving. It stops trying to optimize his his eating because it's been optimized as it eats the synthetic berry power bar. And it should be noted that like anybody received previously, somebody tried to eat the plastic they and die. die. Yeah, yep. like it kills you if you are not of the surgery or of right. this natural accelerated evolution. Um, any te- any any tears. Much like uh, is Peter Willer did. Yep, he is relieved to have this, like, to know something ish. Mix of relief and of um, acceptance. Not acceptance is the word I'm looking for. Um, what's it called when you just kind of like give yourself up to something? Like an acquiescence. Acquiescence. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he didn't, there could very easily be, I mean, this is, not, this is never going to happen, but there could very easily be a Crimes of the Future too, because like a lot of stuff is like left unresolved. Um, crimes of the Far Future. <laughs> crimes of the Past, which is a sequel, not a prequel. Because that's just Crimes where, of the Past is are. just about jaywalking. Yeah, more Crimes of the Future. Um, I don't, I'm curious to know, I don't know, because we've been, talking about this in the same way that we did we've been talking about Cronenberg in the same way that we did our like pandemic episodes where we're not necessarily criticizing something even though you know like we did Balthazar and we just like shit all over it because that movie was boring and ridiculous but most of those movies we just kind of gave a chance and just kind of like looked at as as films um my inclination with this movie is to not say anything too mean about it um and to look, and that's how we've been looking at the Cronenberg up to this point. So my inclination is to kind of continue doing that. I was un, I was weirdly underwhelmed. Yeah, no, underwhelmed is underwhelmed is the, the perfect word for it. It's it's the body horror is real and very prevalent, but I also wasn't super interesting. It didn't go nearly as far with anything as I kind of thought it was gonna. Yeah, and I, I didn't anticipate to be as disturbed by it as like the people coming out of cons said. Um, but it, there's, there's a real artificial quality to mm. like the surgeries and the organs themselves. So it's, it's really removed. My, my issue with it is, is it's ultimately a really forgettable film. I think like it, there's, yeah. there's just a real sense of going through the motions and this kind of thematic overtone of 
art and finding meaning from the meaningless. Cronenberg is, is a pretty heavy fatalist, like he's talked about before when he does death in film to him, you know, death is, is it like when somebody dies, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a real sort of, I don't want to say fatalism, but there's a real sort of, um, tactileness to his, his belief system. And I, mean, I don't want to necessarily say nihilism, but like it, he's, he's a very kind of existential kind mm-hmm. of individual. Um, and I just think those points of finding meaning through the creation of art just don't necessarily ring here because it's not saying anything new. Well, cause there's two things I think happening simultaneously. There's like finding meaning in these like strange things through art, but there's also the idea, which he's, I guess, touched on like a bunch of times in his films, the idea that like the human body is like for like if it can do stuff, like why isn't it meant for this? So like they, these guys, Scott Speedman and his crew, they like alter their bodies to eat plastic. But if they can alter their bodies to eat plastic, their argument is kind of like, shouldn't we be preparing ourselves to eat a bunch of plastic? Because in the future, that's all we're going to have is plastic. So we should just get used to doing this stuff. It's like one of the things that I think got mentioned in Crash and in Existence. And I don't remember the circumstances in Existence. I just they mentioned it. Um, the idea that like the the human body wants more than like we're often giving it, and is capable of more than we're often you know think it's capable of, and so we should be like doing those. We should be doing those things. We should be finding like they so they talk a lot about inner beauty in Crimes of the Future. The idea of like inner beauty pageant, yeah, the inner beauty pageant where he gets a zipper put in so they can look at the new organs, which I think is stupid. Um, and the idea that like she drinks from it and like you know performs oral whatever yeah. on his zipper like it's it's it's, slit. it's, it's, it's like, meant to be that that's like the one scene i think that's meant to be highly provocative or but you don't even it. see anything it's, yeah and it's like don't and like that is one of the worst are you both, both both one of the worst like written lines but also a terrible line reading from vigo Morrison, who does a pretty fantastic job throughout this I think he's great. Yeah, but like that, don't spill too much or something like that. That that line he says, "Careful just, not to spill" or like yeah. something like that. It's, it's like, like spill what? Like the organs? Yeah, like who cares? I don't know. Like, I, do you I, really I, care if you spill your organs everywhere? It doesn't seem like it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and that's that's my issue with this. Is it is it feels so minimal, and it feels so. It doesn't just feel like there's really much to say. And as I said, it doesn't feel like it was made for, for much money at all. It feels mm. very grounded and very, not even tight, but very limited. Um, well, the fact that they keep meeting, like he keeps meeting this, the detective in front of these boats and it looks like they just filmed it all on the same day. Or the same night, what, and, and it's everything's lit the exact same yeah. way, and they just kind of hang out in front of boats, and they everyone they're both dressed exactly the same each time they do it, and Saul dresses the same way whenever he does anything, and you know he covers his face and he covers most of his body because he's just kind of like everything hurts him, or like you know any he's sick, he's he just got, doesn't got, know got what's going on, right? Um, and, but and that, and the and, uh, issue with that too is is I think there's an expectation set from the opening shot of kind of like the collapsed boat giant like cruise liner right. in the water you know probably you know a 
clearly a CGI sort of creation, but, but it has like a, an interest. It looks interesting. It, it has color to it. It has volume. It has size. And then we kind of like go to the, you know, to the sun as he's kind of digging in things. And this house kind of looks interesting. And like when they're, when they go like to the mother's house, like even though it has this sense of decay and ruin to it that everything does in this film, mm-hmm. there's some sort of volume to that. Mm-hmm. And so it sets an expectation that is then completely forgotten throughout the rest of the movie when every building just looks like a, a, literally an abandoned building that David Cronenberg found that he didn't have to spend too much money on for right. well, and the even The not abandoned building parts, like the streets they walk, seem like just different angles of the same street. Tra- uh, some bad right. street. And they Toronto. filmed it at night. Well, apparently it was filmed in Greece. Oh, really? And they filmed it at night maybe because there wouldn't be anybody on it. But you also don't get a sense of why. So they, you know, Kristen Stewart famously, her character Timlin says at one point, and she's pretty good at this too. I thought this was actually a really good comeback part after Spencer. Like she kind of washed that Spencer shit out of her hair and was just kind of like, I'll just be a weirdo. I'll take a book out of Pattinson's. I'll take a page out of Pattinson's book and just be a huge fucking weirdo in yeah. movies. And it works. She, she made it work. There's there's weird choices that I think the actors kind of make on their own throughout this that don't feel and like I there's go, an intention from David Cronenberg that is more interesting than what Cronenberg. And did. I want to go there. I want to go right there after this. But like she says that she says like um, you know, and it's kind of like the famous line that like surgery is the new sex. And I'm just like that's cool, whatever. But like. That you keep seeing people on the streets like cutting into their legs. It's like, if you can't feel pain, like, do you feel do you feel pleasure? And if if you don't, like, just because you can cut into somebody's leg, like, does that mean people are automatically going to start doing it like all over the place, like junkies, like just cutting into each other's See, flesh I, for I no reason? Got, I, I got the idea that it was like a sense of pressure or whatnot with it, but. The entire thing is just like it's supposed – like those things are supposed to be some level provocative, but you kind of – it ends up becoming all very passe. It, it does. Because it just keeps happening. So the moments that aren't don't feel passe are the moments that you were describing just a minute ago where like – so like the moment where Timlin for no reason like corners Saul in her office – and she like just kind of pushes him around the room with like her body and her questions. Un- completely uncomfortably walking back. The in- finger in the mouth was improvised by Kristen Stewart. Apparently. And it was, and it looked, and I think it's that was the scene that I found. It wasn't like overly provocative, but I thought it was interesting because I'm just like, what is happening here? And because it seems like these people don't know what's happening either, and it seems like they're she's trying to figure out what's happening. And just kind of like trying to be in this world. So that's why like the plot revelation at the end when they open up Scott Speedman's son and his organs have been tattooed and deformed. Um, and then you find well, re- out... That Timlin replaced them, yeah. Yeah, she's like, but why? And it's like, oh, she liked looking at her own work, blah, blah, blah. It's like, but why did she do that? And well, where does she come from? I mean, she's, she's supposed to still be like the bureaucrat sticking to the goals of the government, obviously. But it's still just... Which that, is, that ends up feeling like a plot contrivance. Right. So she's super titillated by Tensor, but she thinks what Tensor is doing is bad or good in a way. Or to an extent, like she just still feels like it's her job to... Because he's registered the organ, it's okay for him to make art out of the organs or what? Like I'm not... Sh- no, no, I think, I think, it, I think it's, it's, it's more like... 
I got the, in, the, the sensation that the intent was she wants it to remain behind that sort of veil of, of so secrecy to, and, and of, of, of the aberrant and the weird. Right. She wants and the to, second you see it's a biologically happening to regular mm, people, it then becomes a natural thing and it loses. Right, because they're not using it for art. They're using it for function. And that's what the, yeah, the like detective Scott Speedman's, said the whole you know, time. Like, like Lang's, Lang's intent isn't art. Lang's intent is is um, political evolve, drive. And that's, right. and that's the entire yeah. time of, like we hear throughout the film, like, Tensor's political problem, and he's going, what political problem? Well, that's, I mean, the weirdest part of the movie, or the most unfortunate part of the movie, is you have this ear guy who is does a dance. That's where I want, it's like, I want a Scott Walker score here, because his Howard Shore score is fine, but it's not cutting the mustard here with this weird dance. Yeah, the main theme that Howard Shore does in this is awesome. It's very good. But, but like, some yeah. of the other stuff is just weird. But then, so... It's, it's very blady. It feels like I was, like, mm, watching Blade. Mm, interesting. An opening scene from Blade where they do the, the blood shower. Oh, like that yeah. Music, the music during that dance, I was like, this just feels like the blood no, shower No, I want scene. it to be, like, oppressive. Like, and that's why I want the Scott yeah. Walker pull X score, just like... I don't know if you know this, but Scott Walker's not going to be doing any more scores. I know, it's tough. It's tough. But I wanted it. Imagine if Disaster Piece did the score. Yeah, well, or Hacks and Cloak. We were talking about Midsommar during the break. Um... But that break. has a weird. That scene is okay. It's not again. It like when you see it on the trailer, you're just like I want to know about this ear guy, and you're just like stop seeing, start like hearing, and you're just kind of like okay. Yes. And then there's this cool shot of Saul like crouched in the corner, and then this random woman in a white like '80s power suit is just like you have a political problem. Go see this guy, and he's just like okay. And he's like, why are you talking about this? Let me see some ear dance. But even even still, like it, it doesn't serve a function. That's my issue with a lot of this film, is is it doesn't serve a function. The parts, what the ear guy? No, yeah, like that the ear guy doesn't serve a function, and it's it's not it becomes not interesting because it doesn't serve a function. Well, I think the function I, I think the function it serves is 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 to what you I think what you're saying before. Like there's different components to this. So Saul's the true art. The ear guy is like the corporate kind of art, like just doing yeah. like something outrageous for art's sake. And then the other people... Like the woman is the too personal art that nobody can get. Right. And then the and then there's the, the Scott Speedman thing where it's not art at all. It's, it's, it's statement. Stuff, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but, but the issue with this is just like for a movie that is so bound to sensation, mm. right? Like, like it, it's Love attempted it. sensation in terms of emotional pain um, in terms of discomfort in terms of of the loss of sensuality like there is like outside of of that opening which I think the opening sets a really high tone and expectation mm. of like when you know the mother weirdly sexually straddling the son to a degree and I thought the suffocation was wrong like if, especially if the whole rest of the movie is about cutting people open but like, I, but it feel yeah, but it, but at the same time, it has stillness to it. It has a very yes. it it has a feeling to it. Choking then, would have had the same feeling. Yeah, it yeah, would have yeah. felt worse. I just I just don't think I think there was maybe a level to which 
Cronenberg. For sure. But this is why, <laughs> why I'm saying is that like if you're gonna if you're gonna say like this is how far we're going, like I just think you should go that far because it's just not as interesting if you're not gonna do it. And I, but I think I think the suffocation still is fine. It's fine because I think it, I think it, I think it's actually it works and it sets a tone of like. Ooh, this is where we're gonna be. Yeah, yeah. And then the film fails after that to ever, ever get there again. Right, because like, then when it goes, the next scene is like tenser in his little bed pod thing, like all gyrating and stuff like this. And you're just like, oh, it's just to make him comfortable because of the organs. Like, why does it have to look like this? Yeah, it, can it, it look it, like it looks, anything? It looks bad. It looks like bad CGI. But behind the fact that's bad, it just doesn't feel. It's so detached from. What we as an audience are are coming, are bringing into the to the film mm-hmm. that it you you lose kind of that you lose that tactileness you well, lose you lose that, and then it just it fails to do that again. I think it it regains it slightly during uh, the Caprice tensor sex scene, like that's bit, the one. Yeah. Uh, but that's the one part where it's like oh, like this feels once again like slightly uncomfortable because they're he's unable. Or, or doesn't know anymore really to have regular sex. And so the only way they can do it is by kind of like jointly combined together, cutting themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the one point where you can watch that and go like, okay, there is somewhat of an in a, 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 a feeling, a, a, a touch to it, a, a, a connection to it by which I can kind of get what I feel Cronenberg's intent is with kind of like this loss and entropy mm. Of, mm. Of, of art, of, of sensation, of feeling that he kind of feels like he's trying to say like we're, we're on the path of doing mm. here in kind of the real world or whatnot. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's so just so – like we talked about detachment earlier, detachment in, in the performances – this just feels so thematically detached. I, that I think is 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 um, perfectly said. I, I agree with you because um, we just do seems dialed in. Viggo Mortensen continues to kind of give like A plus performances in movies that don't necessarily deserve them. Not that this is a bad movie. It's not Green Book, but he's excellent in Green Book, and the movie is just a train wreck. Captain Fantastic. Captain Fa- exactly, and that movie is fucking horrible. Um, I think it's very mediocre. I don't think it's horrible. Oh, yeah. that, I mean, the, I almost threw up, like, not just in my mouth, but, like, in my lap when they were like, Happy Noam Chomsky Day. We're going to celebrate Noam Chomsky. Just like, fuck you, man. Fuck you and every single person who was involved with this movie <laughs> and your Noam Chomsky Day. Because I'm sure nowadays it would mean something totally different because Noam Chomsky is, like, veering towards, like, being, like, a hard Trumper or whatever. But without, like, loving Trump, he just loves... You know Jordan Peterson and shit like that. Mm. Um, I think the performances are pretty grounded, and then the theme is just kind of a little too vague and like wishy washy for it to be yeah. like for it to have the same intensity that like the performances are trying to bring to it. So when it's just when Saul is having all these real when when Viggo Mortensen is performing as Saul in these really intense conversations and the conversations are about stuff that's just kind of like meh okay like you if you you know you don't get to make your art you don't get to make your art like if your organs are for something or they're not for something like i don't know why you keep sitting in this bone chair that looks like a joke i mean that's a joke right i mean 
what is this bone chair? I don't get it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not 100% sure why it needs to be there. It seemed like it was one of those things where he developed, he maybe came up with a scene where like they kill the pageant director, which I'm not sure why he had to be a character. The two engineers who fix these life aware. Which I'm going to be honest. I love those two kids. Like, I do too. I just don't I want to watch a is. movie with them. Like, I, like, like cause, Did you no, ever figure out what they're dealing? No, what but are they, they after? They feel like two Terry Gilliam characters in a David Cronenberg film. But why do they kill both Scott Speedman? Why do they kill Lang and? Well, they just kind of feel like they're all part of like the 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 government, right? Like, like it's all about the prevention of of so they're showing. all for art. They just want the secret art. They don't want. I don't necessarily think, think all of them are for the secret. Uh, I mean, they're all they all are, yes, to a degree for the secret art, but also like there might be a level of their jobs require them to first and foremost keep that veil covered mm. over like the accelerated evolution, mm. and from that they do find an enjoyment in this kind of aberrant art that That's comes weird. from it. Yeah. And they also enjoy drooling the back of an obvious mannequin head. I fucking, I Who love leaned, that. I love that because he leaned back into the drill, yeah, so that she could be more well, stable. The thing, the thing I love, and this <laughs> this is another thing that like there's there's an also a great moment next where a head is destroyed that it's clearly like a mannequin head. But I, I'm happy that it feels like this year is going back to the very clearly like Fulci esque head. Are body destructions that look terrible. Like they look, they don't look real at mm. all. Like, but there's something more. This is this is the horror part of me yeah. like talking. There's something more satisfying about that because it's a uh, it's actual drills going into something. But isn't that what I like that absolutely? But isn't that what is removes some satisfaction of like watching Leah do get cut up with those things because that shit is the fakest stuff I've oh yeah because it's all life. it's all cgi and then like practic and then like you know some practical blood stuff that's maybe kind of like layered on or like i don't know off camera you could probably just probably had squirted a little fake blood but yeah no it looks it doesn't look as good because it does it is regenerated effects right it's rough it's rough and so it makes me think of so the whole time i was watching that stuff i was thinking of the um you ever see the video? It might be widely available now, but at the time it was not widely available. There's a Nine Inch Nails song on Broken called Happiness and Slavery. And so the video is black and white. This guy sits down on like this masturbating machine. Um, you know, very Geiger-esque, like just like machine. And it just starts ripping. Is Julia Pinoche there? No, it's just a, it's just a single guy. No, it's pretty awesome. Um, it was a young Julia Binoche being like, oh, I just need a shot. I need yeah. this Trent Reznor video. I, um, but I also need like a Claire Denis yeah. masturbating. No, that, I mean, that reminded me of this too, but that was amazing. And I think about high life every day in my life. Um, but no, there's a guy and he sits on this masturbating machine and just starts ripping him apart and then it grinds up his body. But there's no CGI because it was 1992. The CGI for that stuff didn't like exist, so it was just like practical effects of just like ripping this guy to pieces. How Cronenberg probably would have used to have done it. Um, and I just was thinking of that, like, oh, I would love to see some kind of real way that he would have cut into this, or make it seem like he was actually cutting into this woman instead of like the end of a skill saw that just like disappears when it meets flesh. Yeah, and then like a cartoon opens up on her chest. 
you know, it would have been cool if like Roger Rabbit or like Toontown was actually in like Leo Sadu's chest and they were like, hello? Yeah, Hello, no, and they were just like, cover it up. And it's funny because, like, because like with like Lang's death, like that is that is practical. Like all you have to do is is do a close up on some clay, like some you know synthetic silicon, and it's a cut on that, and then you go back out, and then we get you know the fake silicon cut on Louis Ado, and just have a practical blood effect coming out of that. Something I would have taken anything, but there's so this because I would have, and that would have because that's the thing mm-hmm. that like works to a degree with like gap. Like in Crash, I mean, it's it's not disturbing because that movie isn't disturbing. Is is the fact that like it's actual practical cuts and whatnot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to that point, I think Crash, for all, however bored I was watching it, I was still just kind of like, I'm interested to see what they're gonna do next. A little bit, like where's where's this gonna go? Um, in Crimes of the Future. So it kept it kept like dragging me back in, even though like Holly Hunter and like some of the other aspects of it kept like pushing me out, like this is boring and stupid. I kept being like, "Well, you might do something." Um, and I remember when I first saw it, I was just kind of like, "Holy shit!" Like, where are they going to go now? And then yeah. I was just, and then ultimately I was like, "Oh, they didn't really go very far." Blah blah. In this one, they kept like moments like that kept like pushing me out of the movie, and that was part of like so I felt very detached from something. I wanted to feel. I thought I was going, I had the expectation of going in feeling very like connected to um, just because of my appreciation for um, like that kind of visceral cinema. And I guess, I guess that's like a big issue too is like, like we're talking about um, when we're getting our munchies was like Northmen has a lot of like the, some lot, I mean, it has a lot of CGI. Sure. But it has a lot of like practical kind of gore effects. Mm -hmm. And it's so, I think when this movie, like, really loses me the first time um, is when that first performance surgery is done and it's all the CGI. It's like it was so easy to just have, like, the head of Vigo Mortensen popping out and then just a practical dummy with animatronic, like, you know, having, he doesn't even need to be moving. You could just say, like, he's been sedated or whatnot. Yeah. Um, But to have some robotics actually cutting into a dummy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause like the sec you see those organs, it's just like, that just looks like sacks of CGI poop. Well, yeah. I, I watched a making of video of Jim Henson movies and there's nothing more complicated than making a movie with puppets on puppet backgrounds. And, you know, people like underneath a, a stage, just kind of, like this and manipulating puppets and all this other shit. This these things can be done. Yeah. You know what I mean? He just chose not to do Sam them. Sam Raimi did it with Evil Dead. Absolutely. To the he chose not to do them to the detriment of the of the film. Yeah, cuz it cuz it is a film about feeling, right? It is a film about the desperation to find feeling. feeling. Right. Yeah, right. And, and and if you're trying to make your audience feel something um, or to connect in that way of like, oh, why aren't like, like uh, to really grasp at the separation between what you're seeing, the reaction on the screen um, that these people are doing versus like what you would experience by looking at it and like, this is how it should feel. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work when it's all computer glibber grabber. Yeah. That's my, that's my word. The perfect word. 
Um, yeah, because because it just it does it it it, it wouldn't be I mean it would probably it's probably more expensive for sure to do it that way, um, but it would be in service of well just I mean to, to, that let's tie it back to like the beginning of this episode like not necessarily naked lunch but naked lunch for naked lunch is weird tie it back to the dream sequence in Dead Ringers where you know the the twins find themselves in bed with or you know Bev finds that he's in bed with Elliot and um, whatever Genevieve Bujold's character's name is. I can't remember what it is now. And they're conjoined. You know what I mean? They're, mm. they're with this very David Cronenberg-esque, like, flesh mass between them. Tumor. She, the tumorish. Yeah. yeah. And she, you know, bends down with her teeth and fucking rips out this, like, I'll just do it right now. I'll just separate you right now. And she rips out this just mass of flesh. It's bloody... It looks like something. She clearly has something in her teeth. Um, it's all cutting and like, ed- you know, it's all editing and like where he put the camera and what he was looking at. And it felt real to the point where like it almost made sense that we were, if we wanted to include it in the body horror thing, I was like, that's very body horror-y that she just bites this mass out of the, like the center of these two guys. It was weird that like, 30 years later almost, we're just like, he's just like not doing it. Like I'm just, or like it's not 30 years, but like, you know, no, it is 30 years. It's more than 30 years. Yeah. 33 years later. He's just like, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to CGI this. Yeah. And and especially, I keep, I don't know why I keep comparing this to X, but like having watched X, which is a lot of practical effects because it's leading into that. Like it has one of my favorite killing scenes in, kill kill scenes in, in a film, in a horror film. And it's all practically done and it looks good. And X was made for not a lot of money. And I just look at that and go like Cronenberg could have like done some of this. Like I understand some stuff's going to have to be done by computer effects. Mm -hmm. I'm perfectly happy with the autopsy of the boy in the end being all CGI and that entire boy bottom being CGI. Yeah. Like that's fine. Like I'm okay with that because it's supposed to look fake, right? Yeah. It's supposed to look unnatural, unreal and that it was all Mm-hmm. You know, but like other stuff, if you need other things in this need to feel practical. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like we're harping on this and we can end whenever. Um, but I also just feel like there is, we both, and the reason we're doing the David Cronenberg thing is I think you are deeply connected to Cronenberg and I find him like immensely interesting as a filmmaker because there aren't like people that are making like movies like Cronenberg really. Um, there weren't, but there's now filmmakers, I think, who are trying to at least. I think so. Who are inspired. Who are inspired by Cronenberg, and they want to do that stuff. And they, he just has, he has the old man sensibility of needing to say something about the culture. So the movie's not really about body horror, even though, like, everything that you read about it is, like, says that it is. Like, the movie is about, the movie's about art, and the movie is about, like, It's not even a humans. horror film. No. The movie's about art and humans and how we are art and how we perceive art and how we perceive ourselves and how we are changing. And is that art? Blah, 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 blah. But like, if you're going to contain that message inside of a body horror film, quote unquote, like they can't, they have to be connected. They can't be disconnected in any way. It has to be a body. Right. Especially if most of Leah Sadu's lines past a certain point of the movie are just, you know, an essay on like the nature of the human body and like what we're doing to it and what like, or the people in the film are doing to it. Um, 
and you know how it's perceived and how it's manipulated and all this other stuff. I gotta I gotta have the tangible. The tangible's gotta work, mm. and the tangible in this movie doesn't really feel very tangible, which is just like shoving me the fuck out of it every time. It should be dragging me like closer to it. Yeah, and, and I, that's the thing with like, and I don't mean to interrupt you. That's the thing no, with no, the no, Lars von Trier movies is that like every time he does something horrible to somebody in one of his movies. I get dragged further into the, the psychosis of Lars von Trier, which is what all those movies are about. And like the four depression movies are just about, and I'm saying there's four because I'm saying House of Jackal is, is one of them, um, are just about how he hates himself and everything everything around him. And and it, and like even House of Jackal doesn't shy away from using computer generated effects to its no to its use. But it knows when it needs to Listen, be practical. When he cuts Riley Keough's breast off, you fucking feel that shit. Yeah. That doesn't, that's not like, and I, I don't mean to be glib about this, but like, that doesn't feel good. Or the kids. That, or even when, not even when he kills, when the woman is feeding that kid, you know, pie in his mouth. Like, he makes that stuff. When he taxidermies that kid, that stuff feels real. And, 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 and even like stupid stuff like the house made out of bodies like feels like a house made out of bodies. And is that just something that like Scandinavian directors are doing? Like in that like Canadian directors don't feel like the same commitment to like practical it's all, effects? It's all the yoga from the government officials that keeps You think it, I mean, it could be. Down. It could be. It really or the black could face. Be. It's the, but it's the same, right? It's the same thing with like another round. Mads Mikkelsen was clearly drunk a lot of times on that. <laughs> on that movie you know and it's all the better for it I think maybe I don't know but it felt intense watching it and in intense in a way this movie never feels this movie never feels intense which no. is weird yeah especially for something that you, you anticipate to feel intense right like, anytime someone's ears or orifices are sewn shut and you see them being sewn shut which is a practical effect right but it should feel. It should feel but like it's something. But it's so around. It's so, you know, put around parts that aren't. Right. It's, it has you know between two conversations about like bureaucracy, and you're just like, this is weird. Yeah. It's weird that you did that. And there's an inner beauty pageant, which just gets. You don't even see the inner beauty pageant. You don't know who wins. That's no, terrible. Like there's not even any reason for it to be there. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also weird. Yeah, it's it's just ultimately, in the end, just a just a disappointment. Mm. And it was interesting because it is 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 a movie I noticed. Um, I started out with eight people in the theater, and I ended with like three people. In the I didn't walk out too. I ran several, and it, none of it was. It was just during middle, just during yeah. the movie. During it was during, during scenes that weren't conversation weird. Yeah. yeah, they were just kind of like I'm done. Yeah. My favorite part of it, though, first time this ever happened, somebody fell asleep. During the movie. Oh. Like 20 minutes during the middle, just loud snoring. Makes sense. To give, to give, that, to give credit to David Cronenberg, that guy was already falling asleep because of the trailers. So it's more of an indictment. Right, he had already been in the movie for like an hour. <laughs> yeah. By the time the movie was 20 minutes over, he'd been in the theater for an hour. Um, but yeah. All right, Crimes of the Future. Yeah. did it. Look, and we are cognizant. And not destroyed ish. Yeah, because, well, no, I'm just saying. Last time we did this with a, we did, we did this one with one other director besides Claire Denis. 
trying to remember back into my no. Yeah. We, um, the closest we got was like the COVID episodes. Yeah, but the, the Claire Denis episodes. one. Uh, I don't. I, I don't. We tried to do thirty-five shots of rum. Yeah, it was thematically relevant. Love that episode though. But I love those movies. It's the longest episode, still, right? Yeah, it's like three hours nine minutes. Is it? I thought it was like almost four. I don't think so. I okay. think it's three hours. And this is not. This is not that long. No, it's like two hours. Oh, good, good. We good did hours. four movies. We're so we're so adult now. I know. How many episodes? How many movies did we do with Denis? Like nine. Oh, did we? Well, we did all the major. We did every major movie that she made. Oh, so if we had done nine Cronenberg movies, this probably would have been. It might not have been nine, but we started with. Like first one we day, did uh, chocolate chocolate yeah um and then we moved through we did all we hit all the major ones yeah so it was probably like nine. Oh, okay that makes sense yeah it was <laughs> it's a long episode i mean just like the just like the last few like 2001 trouble every day to high life we hit trouble every day 35 shots of rum white material um let the sunshine in high life and then before trouble every day we did like four Oh, right. Four movies. Yeah. So yeah, that was a lot of movie watching those two weeks. It was great. Oh, oh I love those fucking movies. That was fun. Yeah. Should we, should we do a new ending for this? Do we yeah, still no. do the Tudor do Set film fiddle? You know what's funny? I think we probably could have ended this this episode ten minutes ago. Either of us knew how to like get into the ending because I also well, had that perception. Like, are we still going to do this? Like, do we have to do this? I don't know. Because we don't pay any t- attention to our Twitter. We tweet occasionally. Some people like. Tweets, but it's mostly all just political tweets now. Right, it's just like when something terrible happens and John Cusack says something interesting, I'm just like retweet. Yeah, I don't, I don't look at any of that shit anymore. Um, and our Gmail accounts just all bot stuff. <laughs> so I guess our Twitter is the one. The Twitter is the one way you can really communicate with us now. Don't yeah, don't bother to email us. Yeah, don't don't even. We will not look at the. You know what's funny is that I like the idea that we've turned this into kind of like a vanity project now. Before oh. it was like a mission and like we really wanted people, like they really wanted to talk to us. Like we wanted to hear from them. Now we're just like, I'm really not interested. Like we're just here for I ourselves. Mean, but like if people actually tweeted us like, all the like time. say anything, yeah. I'm just like, not sure I'm going to read your email. No, I won't read the email because there's so many fucking spam emails and I'll just, uh, <laughs> it'll be like, trick your Norton. And it's like, what? Who uses who pays for antivirus protection we're good, anymore? We're good, Norton. You know which you know which viruses I probably have on my computer because of how much porn I look at. <laughs> like we could, we could, we could help you make it faster. Well, no, it's not actually Norton's. You know, it's an Indian scammer. I love the Indian scammers. Uh, that's been something I was doing during our not watching this. I watch Scammer Payback. It's a great YouTube channel. It's not great. It's just a guy uh, who like fucks with the scammers. Yeah. Okay. Good. And if you uh, want, if you want, it. if you want to tweet at us about scammers, <laughs> do so at at Film Pivotal. Um, um, there's there no no emails. No, but you can go to Pivotal Pivotal Film Pivotal Film Pivotal Film and see a list of the movies on our Pivotal Film list, which is the thing we used to do. Um, oh yeah. That's all that's there actually. So. Uh, sure. List of the beers we did drink. List of the beers we drank. How to subscribe to the podcast? If that's still something you're I interested still, in doing. I still kind of want to eventually do uh, like some some writing on the. Uh, eventually, yeah. eventually I'll do that. Eventually, if we have Ditto. a website, Ditto. might as well add shit to it. Ditto. Um, uh, we'll be back in in three weeks. Yeah, ish. We're gonna do the best of um, our best yeah, of our, uh, kind the, of a best of. We're still we're still figuring. 
be a look at the interesting films of the past six months. Mm. Uh, of those, I think our best movies so far will be on those. Yeah, we'll we find are, those interesting to talk I just, about. Like, I'm very behind on stuff, so we'll, ca- I'll, we'll catch up. But um, something like, like I said, you might love men, but something like for me, men, yeah. which I don't particularly love, I will be discussed on that episode. We'll figure out a way to do like a kind of overall take of the year, maybe without going into like the depth that we would normally yeah. go into, but we'll just kind of um, find it. I mean, at, at worst, we break that shit in the two episodes. That's the thing. We may go into more depth about some like about comic book stuff. Like but we, not Johnny Depp. We're not doing that shit. Oh, fuck that guy. I don't give a shit about any of that. No, I'm not even mad at Johnny Depp. I'm just mad at the culture. Yeah, no, I agree. So much about Johnny Depp. I never heard. I'm not mad at either of them. I think they're both fucking idiots. But I think the culture is also fucking stupid. We should have just cared more about Elden Ring. Could we have cared more about Elden Ring as a culture? Literally, IGN just turned into the Elden Ring all the time website. Until there was a Marvel or Star Wars release. And then, like, Marvel or Star Wars said this. What if From Software made a a game about this? Yeah, that's all anyone cared about for like the longest time. And we'll talk about everything everywhere all at once because I've gotten multiple requests about this. You know what? Maybe what we'll do, Mario, instead of like a, we'll do a kind of like a a, a wrap up and then we'll hit everything in men like hard. <laughs> let's, uh, let's we both see that because neither of us have seen everything everywhere all at once. It I know, which I feel bad about. I don't, whatever. Um, Get better screenings, all the movie theaters. Remember when you, pre-pandemic, they used to show movies at 10 o'clock in the morning. Do that again, please. Now they only do it on Fridays. Yeah. Well, what's weird is like the minor movies have good screen times, but the bigger movies don't. Mm. Like they have really awkward screen times. It's like very awkward. Watcher had like a 740 showing and I was like, well, that's fucking perfect. It's pretty good. I leave the gym at 720, shower, drive over. Mm. But then like everything everywhere all at once is like 620, 930. <laughs> 11. I'm good. Good things. All right. Well, um, watch movies, um, drink beers, um, and we'll we'll be around. We're going to be around. Yeah. You couldn't get rid... You thought you could get rid of us? You could not get rid of us. We're fucking back. We're like a tumor, but a practical tumor. Mm. Like three That's what practical... That's another weird thing. It's just like, oh, these were for a purpose. The plastic eater. Yeah, that was fine. <laughs> that, was, that was an easy thing to do. Yeah. I was fine with it. Yeah, it was interesting. Okay, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you later. <laughs>